0: Welcome to the Behaviour Speak Podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman.
1: Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Behaviour Speak Podcast. Uh, on today's episode, we get to chat with Adair Carden. Uh, she's a behavior analyst based in Senegal, which is super cool. Thanks for being on the show, Adair. Thank you for
2: inviting
1: me. Super awesome. Uh, Adair and I met... Um, Through a a professional advisory board that we both sit on with the uh, International uh, Behavior Analyst Organization, which I'm hoping maybe we can do an episode of about in the future. Yeah, super cool. So Adair, Adair, uh, the reason, kind of the reason I I wanted to talk to talk with Adair was obviously just because you know she's a behavior analyst on the other side of the world, and it's cool to hear stories about what people are doing around the world. But uh, what was really cool was that she published. a study recently uh, based on, on her our master's thesis called uh, To Raise a Child with Autism Spectrum Disorder, a Qualitative Comparative Study of Parental Experiences in the United States and Senegal. And uh, really, really neat study. I don't know if you've ever read cross-cultural research, uh, but uh, there's some just some really neat ways of kind of comparing what things are like, you know, kind of for us over here in North America compared to other folks around the world. And we're learning more and more about the importance of things like cultural competence and cultural humility and kind of all those pieces. And so to be able to sort of understand how, you know, a, a, a family, you know, how the context of a family is so different in different parts of the world and how intervention can kind of be affected that way is really important. And so it's really great to see, you know, this kind of specific research, especially, you know, research that compares what's happening in a context, you know, a lot of uh, that I'm used to, uh, versus a context that maybe I'm, I'm not so familiar with. So, so really neat stuff. But kind of before we get to uh, you know the the nuts and bolts of the study and and the different things that she found, um, it'd be great, uh, uh, Addie, if we could get maybe uh, you know a bit of a background, kind of kind of how you got in the field, uh, you know your, your kind of your origin story there, and then and then you know where you started and kind of how you ended up in Senegal. <laughs> sure, sure. So I
0: won't talk about what I'm doing in Senegal quite yet. I'm originally from Seattle, uh Seattle area, San Juan Islands in the US. Um, so I'm not sure how far I am from you, Ben, uh, but it sounds like we're sort of in the same sector of the world. Yeah. Um, island Island life, Pacific Northwest Island Life, sorta. Of. And uh I made my bachelor's is in psychology. I went to the UW in Seattle for psychology. Um and there I uh I worked in some in some labs. I was in a, a genetics lab for a while for autism um, in the UW Autism Center for two years, and then I did two years working uh, as a research assistant slash coordinator for an early intervention study looking at two different models of ABA, so I didn't practice ABA during those two years, but I got to witness it on a daily basis, um, particularly the ESDM model I I found particularly engaging. Um, so I was watching therapy during those years, doing all the data collection and stuff. And I started thinking about, um, you know, and it was early intervention. So it was three-year-olds, two-year-olds and three-year-olds, uh, which is my favorite age group of kids to work with. I was in preschools for a long time earlier. Um, so eventually I thought, you know what, I think I want to be an ABA. I think I want I to I work with kids like this. I want to work with kids, uh, you know, helping them, you know, Uh, Navigate communication and everything, and work with families, Um, so I started thinking about becoming a BCBA Um, And then out of the blue uh, My friend calls me and she says hey, I've been living in Senegal for like five years Do you want to come visit? And I said sure, and this is a friend I grew up with since we were toddlers So I uh, spent two months here in Senegal like in in the back room of their apartment Uh, Totally fell in love with the country just went through the routines. They're, they're musicians. They have like a music group here called Soulard Acoustique. Um They have some great world, Senegalese world mix music going on here. So I was immersed in the music scene, you know, doing rehearsals every day. My dad came down and recorded in their album uh, for a while. It was super cool. And so I started thinking like, okay, I want to be here. I want to stay in Senegal. I want to stay in Africa. You know, my French was getting better because I speak French here. I was like, okay, this might be possible. How can I stay here and do AVA at the same time? And I figured it out. I don't know how I figured it out, but <laughs> um, I did my, my training uh, all distance, all online courses, all online supervision via WhatsApp and Google Drive and all that. Um, and then I, I went back to the US uh, for four days to take the exam. I did have to go back for a year to do my master's in cross cultural psychology, so I had a gap um and then I came back here and i and I started a little private practice um and here I am like almost four years later, practicing in Dakar um my my best friend from childhood still lives across the street from me right on and it's great we just we see the family every day um we can take you know lunch lunch breaks with the family and then in the mornings, I go see the kids, uh, and it's
1: it's wonderful. I just I really love it. I really love how everything turned out. That's super cool. So, you've got an interesting origin story then. That so, a, a lot of the folks that I've interviewed so far, and just folks in general that are my colleagues, typically their mm-hmm. their foray into ABA starts with um, university experience. So I guess you got that in common. But then it but then it usually starts with a bulletin board with an ad for an interventionist. And um, and folks are always looking for, you know, some kind of part time job to do while they're in school. So they they find a behavior interventionist type job and kind of get into it. They don't know what it is and discover they love kids and playing and all that sort of thing and kind of just kind of go that route. Um, So it's interesting that your introduction to ABA wasn't doing ABA, but studying it.
0: Yeah, it was collecting data on it, observing it systematically in a research study.
1: That's amazing. Um,
0: and then I w- I kind of skipped a couple of steps. I was an interventionist for a while. I was a one to one school aide for a year. But this was all like you know after after hours. Um, and then I was a camp I was a camp counselor for for older kids uh, on the spectrum, more lightly on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And it was a behavioral camp. And I just that was like the funnest thing ever.
1: That's awesome. Um,
0: so I did have some you know I did have some experiences all after hours before I before I launched.
1: Yeah yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and then I, w- I want to come back to ESDM in a second. But so you did, um, mm-hmm. you did online training from Senegal, right? Yes. And so was what 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 school was that with?
0: Uh, UC Santa Barbara, California.
1: Okay, yeah. gotcha. And then it was the
0: most flexible program I could find, where it was totally because the, the time difference is so crazy. Um, I couldn't like have class meetings at three a.m. <laughs> They allow you to do it one hundred percent in your own time. They just have weekly, oh, um, perfect
1: self-paced deadlines.
0: And also with the Wi Fi situation here, that um, I couldn't like attend live meetings all the time, so they were very flexible for me.
1: Was that just the VCES kind of sequence and not a master's degree? Because they yeah. did the master's after.
0: So I did the master's just before.
1: Just oh, yeah. you did the master's just before so I did and then.
0: Yeah, I came to Senegal for a few months and then I went straight north uh, to London. I did my master's. It was only nine months. It was just a nine-month quick little thing because I was trying to do this as fast as possible. Yes, yes. I was just like this quick nine-month little thing. And then, I, and then they were like, hey, you can do your thesis anywhere you want in the world. And I was like, oh, gosh, I wonder where I'll go. Um, so I went straight. I didn't even go home. I didn't even go home. I just went straight back down to Senegal and uh, did my thesis for like four months or something. And then had like a month of panic after I graduated trying to figure out how to do this. Um, and then that, that was like October 2017, I found UC Santa Barbara and they set me up. They were really good.
1: And so what's your, what was your master's in?
0: Cross-cultural psychology.
1: In cross-cultural psychology.
0: Yeah, it was a fun one. I really liked it.
1: I bet. I, 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 I feel like there's probably not a lot of programs in that area.
0: No, I only found like two I don't think this one is in existence anymore. I think they shut it Mm. down. Um, And there's one in New Zealand that I found. And then uh, that's about it. The only one, the only other one is the Chicago School of Psychology, I believe it's called, Mm -hmm. in the U.S. I don't know if they have an in-person one. They might, but I know they have an online one. Um, But it wasn't quite like the angle I was looking for. And I really wanted to do something outside of the U.S. So I I went off to London for a year.
1: That's amazing. And that was at Brunel, right?
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Little outside of London, wasn't in the city. Yeah, sheep,
1: sheep fields. When you were doing that University of Washington study on on kind of the early start with that involved the early start Denver model, and 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 you're kind of saying that that piece kind of drew your interest a little bit, and we know that kind of falls into this kind of group of uh, of the NDBIs, this natural developmental behavior interventions, Uh, and and I understand that, uh, and we're gonna gonna kind of get there uh i I won't give it away right yet but that i wonder if this was sort of a seed planted for your next venture into the land of ndbis that you're kind of practicing now
0: i never thought of it that way but you might be right what i loved about it because i had you know i had to watch the videos a lot of the therapy videos and uh what i loved about it was that i couldn't tell they were doing therapy they just like because I didn't, you know, get any background explanation. You know, I wasn't part of the intervention team, so it was just. It honestly just looked like they were playing and having a good time, and it looked like the kids didn't realize they were in a learning environment. They didn't really realize that they were in therapy. They were having fun, you know, and it, which is so different from sort of the more structured models where they're like, you know, where you you have tabletop time and you have your re, you know your reinforcers that are that are very obvious. Um, you know, and everything's structured, and there's rules, and it's like, and, and that was the other model they were comparing it to in the study, um, but the ESDM model, I was, like, fascinated, like, how can, you know, it's like, we're, go, we're, 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 it's roughly, you know, I don't know if it's the same goals, I think the goals are a little bit shifted, but I just loved how they were just playing, they were just playing, and I wanted to learn how to do that, you know, how do you, how do you put that many amazing learning opportunities into an hour, and have the child just, just be playing with you, naturally. Um so I think when I when I got into my other stuff, you're right, you know, it could have been a seed idea. It could have been at the very least I saw it and I thought, all right, this is the kind of therapy that I would want to do in the future, definitely.
1: Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So okay, so now you're you're certified. You're mm-hmm. in Senegal, which clearly, you know, doesn't have, you know, any ABA going Infrastructure. on. Infrastructure. Um, yeah. For, um, for this, for so what did you do? <laughs> like, how, how did you make it happen? Like how did you ma- how, did, how did you make ABA happen? Yeah,
0: pure power of will. Um, I, uh, so I got certified in what September two thousand nineteen. So it's still you know pretty recent. And I started out small. I had to spend two years uh, not speaking the local languages because I did I didn't know how to speak them yet. Um, so I, which was tough. This is not an English speaking country. So I spent, I don't know, maybe it was like a year and a half, uh, working with English speaking families in their homes and supporting the children in their schools. So I was winging myself like all around the car. And let me tell you what public transportation is like here. Um, it's <laughs> bumpy and dusty and it takes a while. So I was doing that until uh, French is the French here is the working language. It's the career language. It's the educational language. So I had to prioritize French in order to sort to like function and run a business. Um, so I did. I was weighing myself all over the car, uh, speaking English for like a year and a half or so, almost two years, um, until my French got to the level where. I felt comfortable working with the with the with the local families, and could you know pull off a sort of air of professionalism, you know, um, um, in that in, in this language that I that I was immersing myself in. Luckily, I had some high school French earlier, so it was sort of okay. Um, but I hadn't practiced in about ten years, so uh, at some point one day, I had a professional phone call with someone from France that was like an hour long. And I did the phone call, and I hung up, and I realized I didn't really have to think that hard to speak. I understood everything they were saying, and it was like this light bulb, it was like this light bulb moment, like, oh my God, I speak French. Like, I just learned the whole language, like, from scratch, just like that, you know? And I, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm, that was my threshold. I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready now.
1: That's awesome.
0: And I, I sort of had some French French-speaking clients earlier, but, you know, that, that was my threshold where like okay I can take on like some more higher end clients now and I and I switched and I don't have um well actually I have one I have one English speaking family but everyone else is French speaking now. So now that I'm here several years later, four years later everyone's looking at me and they're like, So why don't you speak Wolof? Why don't you speak, you know, the local African language? And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, you know, this is the next step. This is the next step is learning I have to you know there's a there's a there's another language here that everyone speaks is the African language, it's the universal Senegalese language. And that is the next step for me is now, is now learning that language from scratch, because that opens a whole door of, I would say cultural competency, um, mm. relatability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, understandability. Um, so that's what I'm facing now is, is Wolof.
1: If everybody speaks French, then mm-hmm. what, you know, and I'm, I'm asking this purely from a, you know, a, for those that might be curious. Um, I've read the article and we've already talked about this, but um, w- mm-hmm. what, w- mm-hmm. why, do, why do we need this other language? Um, this Wolof.
0: This is, this is the African language. Yeah. Um, there's several reasons I can state. There's several different angles you can come at this from. I guess a more practical reason would be not everybody speaks French. Mm -hmm. Um, French is for people who have completed a certain level of education Uh, French is for people who are at a certain level of work and if you are seeking to work with more I would say local individuals more like every everyday man individuals, you need to learn Wolof um, because not everyone will be able to speak French so that is, French is limiting in that way, um, and it does limit you as a practitioner from accessing different types of populations that are more, probably more representative of what Senegal is than 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 the people who speak French fluently. So it's a mix. Another one is French is the colonizer's language. Senegal, Senegal declared independence in 1960 very peacefully from France, um, and, you know, there's it depends who you talk to about attitudes towards France. I,
1: mm-hmm. I,
0: there's some sort of, I don't know, it, it can sort of seem as an outsider, like a love-hate relationship sometimes, or like, a, oh, this is necessary for survival, but like, we would rather speak Wolof if we could kind of mm-hmm. attitude, because um, it connects Senegal to the outer world, but they, they, would, they do need to, and they want to retain their identity as well. Um, so there's this sort of push and pull, like, for French and against French. Um, So if you only come in, especially as a white person, as I am, and you only speak the European colonizer language, it sort of comes off as you're not really trying, you know, you maybe value the colonizer values more than the African ones, you know, perhaps your mind is a little bit closed to the values and the cultures that are here, maybe you're not as open to learning. Um, maybe you don't relate as much to the people you're talking to. And that is true. There's culture embedded in language. Language is culture and culture is language. And if you don't speak the local languages, there's whole layers of culture that you're just, it's going to go straight over your head. Um, and that can contribute to communication problems, which is one reason why I have interventionists, (laughs) uh, helping me out. They all, you know, they're all Senegalese. All my employees are Senegalese. Um, and it's, it, it helps with the languages. It helps with the culture. You know, I'm an outsider and, and they get to be on stage. They get to be the ones who are, who are interacting with, with a lot of the families and, in, in in a different way than I get to
1: really. That's amazing. Um, okay. That, that, that one, that makes a lot of sense. So <laughs> from, uh, just for, and I don't know how much history, you know, and, and it's okay if you don't have it all. Um, but You know, I mean, my experience with colonization is limited. Um, um, You know, I certainly, we certainly see it here in North America, of course, in in a lot of different ways. Um, But I I think a lot of the colonization that kind of happened in North America started over in Africa.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so... Yeah, you know, I'm not looking for exact years that we don't have to be a history buff, but so when did colonization kind of start? Like when did the, Fre- when did the French come in? Like was it like a few hundred uh, years ago? Or? So
0: Senegal, well, Senegal has a long history of colonization and the French weren't the first ones. So if you want to go back and back and back, it was the um, Arabic populations bringing in Islam. I would say those were the first populations to come in. That's like what six hundred AD or
2: something.
1: Oh wow! Okay, nine hundred
0: yeah. maybe six to nine hundred. Between six and nine hundred AD, they like went down Africa, you know. So I'm not sure which date they hit Senegal. So that is like overlaying an entire culture and language and religion onto what was here. Then we have Europe coming in, Portugal, uh, England, England and France fought for a while over. Over Senegal, England won the Gambia, which is a country like inside Senegal. They like just got that sliver, um, and then France. If you look on a map, like there is like a sliver that is Ga- the Gambia um, inside Senegal, and that's an English-speaking country. It's an English-speaking country, totally separate country, English-speaking. Um, Crazy. They got they got that strip, and then uh, France came in. I'm not sure what date, 1912, 1912? Oh, so so twentieth no century. Maybe maybe end of eighteen hundreds. I can't remember. You'll need to Google that or okay. anything. think. But it, sure, it, sure. Was like not... re- it was like more recent than I thought. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah, it's more recent than I thought. And then they uh, they they came in and started overlaying everything. They weren't quite as I would say um, forceful as other physically forceful as other colonizers. Though you know you are hearing sort of snippets here and there. A lot of this history has been erased, by the way. It's been sort of, it's been sort of, uh, sanitized. So it's sort of, di- it's difficult to see what happened. Um, there, you know, Wolof is not a written language now. Um, so they, they, there's no written record of, from the African point of view. Uh, there's only written record from the European colonizer point of view, so you tend to get, you know, you, they say, oh, we were peaceful, there were no massacres, like, you know, but then when you hear people talk here, like, because it's all oral, oral, everything here is oral, when you hear people talk, it's like, well, you know, maybe there was some, you know, maybe there was some stuff happening that might not have been totally peaceful. Um, different ethno groups here resisted colonization more than others, um, so there was, there's a lot of stories about that. And so we, they started laying over their ideals, uh, laying over their, their values, laying over their, you know, different ways of living and their languages and everything. And that has sort of, with the Islam that was already here, with the Arabic that was already here, uh, it all sort of sank in and mixed. So Senegal is a very mixed country. It's 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 Muslim. There's also Christianity. There's like a bunch of different African languages. There's French. And then uh, I, I, I've heard English words in Wolof. Like, you can hear it. Um in the senegalese warlock so it's all it just ended up being a big mix and then in nineteen sixty like around that time, almost every single country in Africa declared independence like within a decade, like everybody from from England and France, and Senegal jumped on that bandwagon um I'm not sure about the history there, um but it was very peaceful, and they are very proud of that they are Senegal is inherently a peaceful country, and they value solidarity among its people between religions, Muslims and Christians. There's friendships, there's family crossover. Um, they're very, they, the peace, peace for Senegalese is like freedom for Americans. You know, if you if you take that away, what are you? Um, and you see this in how they treat others who are different um, whether we're talking about kids on the spectrum or foreigners, you see this gentleness, you see this respect, um, and, and they're known for their, hospita- their hospitality as well towards foreigners. There's a name for it called Taranga. It's not just hospitality, it's like a whole mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very unique in its way and how it's been handling this. Colonialism mix up of things, you know, and how it's moved on from that, and how it's retained its own culture and values um, as it moves forward in time.
1: Wow, that's really cool. So th- this again, this this sort of speaks again to the 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 real importance of understanding the the Wolof language because mm-hmm. it it reminds me of, and again, I'm so. New to everything these days, um, as a lot of us are, uh, but I've been trying to learn a lot more about um, kind of lo- local First Nations here in Canada, um, and a lot of the, as I understand it, a lot of the history in in First Nations communities um, is kind of passed down in the same way through the language, um, through these kind of oral histories. I was just kind of picked up a book the other day by a a, a local elder in in our we live uh we live on the traditional lands of the Tla'amin First Nation which is kind of in Powell River which um, you were asking you were talking about us being kind of in the same uh geography you live, you were living in the San Juan Islands which is kind of the southern point of what's now called the Salish Sea
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh that's sort of just south of Vancouver Island and if we go north about i don't know 100k or so uh you'll get to my island, which is okay. Texada Island. Yes. Um uh, and uh give or say give or give or take a hundred K. I know because yeah. we do a uh pre COVID we did it we would do a a, a music festival every year and, and the organizers only brought people in that were within a hundred kilometers of Texada. And I believe we had someone from the San Juan area once. Um, really? so I know it's around a hundred kilometers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so being on on those lands and uh, you know of the Tlaman people, you know we hear a lot about there. There, there's a, a I was coming back. I kind of lost my track, but there was a book that I I picked up a couple of days ago by one of the one of the elders, and apparently she is the the last remaining living speaker of this particular language, and so you know there there's some. There's There's been a resurgence now, I think, because of that, but there's a fear of sort of, you know, losing those stories because from losing the language. And so I can yeah. really see how that translates, you know, in, in Senegal with Wolof and, and how hugely important it would be, I guess, for you to one day get to the point of uh, of learning that language because you're going to just. You're just yeah. going to have so much, you're going to have that history embedded in your, in, in your, in your interactions, which you're, I'm, you're I'm kind of missing the now. Of with... the
0: iceberg. I'm at the tip of the iceberg now. There's like 500 layers that I can't even see. 100%. And I've been here, 100%. you know, I've been here four years and I've learned a lot, but like, I'm just never going to see it unless I learn the language, you know, like you got it. And then, uh, and then there's the local languages. My husband is Senegalese. He speaks, uh, there's Cere. He speaks Cere. Um,
2: okay. and that's
0: like a whole nother universe. You know, every single language there is, there's like a different universe, there's different knowledge, there's different practices. Someday, maybe I'll learn it, you know, who knows? <laughs> it depends what my mental mental capacities are by the end of this. But, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's, and it's a whole different language. It sounds different from Wolof. it's a whole different way of living and thinking, and you know, the culture is just a, it's a totally its own thing, and there's about thir- 13 different ones I think in Senegal.
1: That was going to be my next group. question, wow. Yeah, they yeah. don't call
0: themselves they don't call themselves tribes because tribe that word tribe is associated with violence and conflict. That's not how Senegal does things. So they call oh, themselves um, they call themselves ethno groups. Yeah,
1: tribe is associated. I just want to touch on it. So let's yeah. say sorry, tribes are so with violence and conflict. That is interesting.
0: Yeah, because you hear about it in other countries in Africa, right? You hear about all of these. Conflicts that are happening between the tribes in different, in different countries, um, especially like around election times and, and you know, times where those tensions are high and that, uh, that's not a thing here. Everyone, you know, everyone, every, everyone gets along and that's one of the greatest values that Senegal has to offer. They're really good at it. <laughs> They're really good at keeping the peace, doing anything, anything they can, you know, anything to, to keep
1: the peace here.
0: And between religions as well, between religions as well, yeah.
1: Oh, that's amazing, uh, and I love that sort of peaceful angle that they they have. Uh, the, the just just kind of I'm stuck on the word tribe here for a second, um, because, and again, I think this kind of circles around the whole cultural humility kind of piece. In that, there's been a lot of discussion kind of recently in 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 uh, in our field in the West, you know, since George Floyd and whatnot. Uh, about a whole bunch of different really important areas. Um one which some people don't consider as important, I think, is just language and so use of terms that kind of have uh have a origin in slavery and some of them are are pretty blatant. Um and 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 some of them I hear from say black communities they don't really care like the master bedroom. Um being oh, that associated part of that? yeah associated with slave and master. There's um Oh there's God. there's actually a term in sound recording, <laughs> I didn't know and that. I think it, yeah, and there's a, there's a term in sound recording where, and and again I uh, I'll probably butchering this, but basically where essentially one input is called the slave and the other input is called the master. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 just a sound. It's a technical term in sort of the engineering areas, and they're trying them. They're looking at moving that. And there's a lot of these yeah. different sort of terms, and tribe is another one of these where there's been a lot of different sort of you know, particularly on social media, where these groups that are kind of, you know, got together and called themselves, you know, the, the whatever tribe.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: With the intention of sort of trying to describe themselves as some sort of cohesive group. But with sort of all of this um, um, discussion around kind of the appropriation of terms for different cultures, it's been said that maybe we shouldn't be using you know, we're sort of appropriating the term tribe because it's meant for sort of this group, but I've never heard it. We don't use the word tribe because it's associated with violence (laughs) and conflict. So that's sort of, that's sort of a a whole different level where Uh, where you're in a continent where the word tribe, you know, is appropriate. It's appropriate and common and that's where it's from. And it's meant for sort of those different populations, but then you dig deeper into, you know, the Senegal perspective, for example, which is very peaceful and, and, they you know, and they kind don't of use pacifist. That,
0: yeah. I was corrected. I was actively yeah. corrected. They were like, "We don't. We don't really say that." I was like, "Oh, oh goodness. Okay. <laughs> Sorry."
1: No, and I, I think this <laughs> you know, really, right. is really important.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and mean, these details of how people speak to one another definitely. They have this sort of banter between the ethnic groups that I love. They have. It's called piquine in French. Like you, you sort of make fun of one another. There's ones that are so. You know, they can they consider each other cousins. You know, like. A bajillion, jillions of years ago, back in the oral histories, they know when this group split from that group and became a separate Mm -hmm. ethno group and migrated north versus south versus whatever, like they know this. And so like, oh, you come from us or we come from you. There's, there's silly little ones of, of, you know, some ethno groups, they say that they were the masters and the other ones were the slaves in the past. But then if you go to that ethno group and ask them, they say, oh, no, 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 we were the masters and they were the slaves. (laughs) And they'll sort of, like, make fun of each other. (laughs) Oh, we were the kings kings and you were the merchants. You know, it's like they'll sort of make, you like because the the past, you know, these oral histories aren't always, they're exact, but sometimes you can, like, I get this sense where, like, truth is sort of subjective and malleable, depending on, like, I don't know who you're talking to or how interesting you want to be. Like, it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of all nebulous, and if you try to get down to the specifics and and ask about specific information, you're not really gonna get it. You're gonna get these, these sort of mystical stories and these ideas that change from person to person. Um, but I love the relationships that everyone has with each other. It's, it's just very fun. It's very fun and open.
1: <laughs> I wanna to touch on sort of one more piece kind of uh, uh, from the sort of cultural sure. point. I mean, we're gonna to talk to be, be talking well, lots of culture I, today, but- you
0: a, like a, Are you gonna circle back to language at some point or should I give you a, this fun fact now?
1: If you're planning on purchasing continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to go to www.cbiconsultants.com. You'll need to know the three secret words. The first secret word is Africa uh well i'm am actually my question is about language oh, um good. okay uh and then and then and maybe the fun fact will fit in maybe it won't but um i was wondering because i i think i read somewhere in in your article that the wolof is particularly unique in africa in that well or, or it's unique in that, in that in that there's a universal language yes. where 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 maybe other like i think i was talking to um uh, Malishwana and Maucho in, in Botswana and I think she was the one that was telling me I think that they have something like 33 different languages mm-hmm. or something and, and yeah. so it's very you know it's it's quite it's quite the <laughs> it's mental game. The <laughs> navigation <laughs> um, game yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah and so th- this universal w- w- why is it that there's a universal language like how did that um, become universal?
0: So uh, the Wolof were the tradesmen they were the traders so they were the ones that were like moving all the goods back and forth. And they were the ones doing all of that. That connect, They were like the connective tissue between everyone else and it, to everyone else. Mm, so everyone sense. had to learn Wolof to like, unit, It just I think it just made things easier. <laughs> I know, and this, remember this, uh, I'm going to say something, but like if you speak to Wolof people, maybe they will correct me. If you speak to Sarah sure. people, they'll be like, yeah, that's right. It depends on the, whose oral history you're going off of. But my husband said that the Sahel people used to hire the they used to hire the Wolof people to do the haggling in the market stuff for them because they sort of maybe thought it was below them or something. I'm not sure.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Um. So they, it, it, like, the Wolof became very valuable in that way, um, and then and then it just proliferated, and I think everybody just found it totally useful that you can talk to anybody in Africa using an African language. Other countries, I need. I always use Cameroon as an example because they've got like 221 languages, which is cra- something like that. It's absolutely crazy. They have uh, the other, all the other countries. They have to rely on the colonizer's language to communicate with their own citizens, and that in Senegal at least is considered something sort of unfortunate. It takes away. It takes away from the Africanness of the interaction. They're very, very, very proud that they can go like an entire day and not speak French. You know, like you can, you can talk to anybody, you can talk to anybody. And it's like 100% African. This is a great point of pride, that they don't have to rely on the colonizers' language to communicate with one another. Um, I think one of the um, results of that is that I've noticed, you know, the level of French here may be a little bit lower than in other countries. Not always, it depends who you're talking to, but I've sort of just noticed that uh, it, when you're talking in Wolof all the time, you don't really practice your French as much. <laughs> mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so it, it, they're sort of known, some of these people are sort of known maybe for speaking slower um, or, you know, using maybe more simple grammar sometimes compared to other African countries. And they view those other African countries as like, you know, being uh, very strict about their, their French and being very perfectionistic about their French. That's the, sort of the attitude they have towards other countries. But it's, it's incredibly useful. It's very, and and it's, it's useful for foreigners like me who come in and all you got to do is learn one language. (laughs) You don't have to learn 221 different languages. (laughs) You can just learn Wolof and you'll be fine. Yeah, there are corners, corners of Senegal that don't speak Wolof, but it's, there, it's fairly rare. It's fairly rare.
1: And so what was the other language fact you wanted to share?
0: Oh, this is more for like ABA intervention. Um, Yeah. please. uh, Just cultural differences. I gotta, this is why I gotta learn Wolof, I'm telling you. I was, you know how, how in, in, in curriculums we often um, do emotion awareness curriculums with our kids, naming emotions, recognizing emotions, yeah. naming faces. Okay. Um, this is cultural and lingual, both happening at the same time, um, but I'll say the lingual side. I was asking people here, how do you say she is sad? How do you Mm. say, you know, he is, you know, whatever emotion. Um, And they thought for a long time, this was someone just sitting outside of my mother-in-law's house. uh, They just thought for a long time, and they were like, we don't talk like that. They said, we just say she is crying, or she is laughing. And it dawned on me, like, oh my god, there's no emotion words. Or maybe there are emotion words, but maybe they tend to use verbs so if you're going to create a curriculum for a child and their parents decide for that curriculum to be in Wolof, and this is a conversation I have with every family, do you what language do you want? You know, because we gotta sort of pick one, uh, at least in the beginning. That that these are factors. Like we can't forcefully teach someone the word sad if that's not gonna be reinforced or used in the house um and so they approach they approach emotions in a very sort of i guess compared to our culture it can almost seem superficial but it's not really like that it's more just like you're using verbs instead of instead of nouns or instead of adjectives sorry um to describe emotions so this is why you know this is why it's so important to know the local language because it's like that changes the entire perspective and scope of how we deal with emotions
2: yeah and how
0: we teach emotions yeah and then you have the cultural side of that, of like in our culture, active empathy looks one way, whereas in Senegal it looks a different way. Like there's all sorts of emotional stuff. Like you really need to know the culture, which is why, frankly, we should be certifying Senegalese people here to do, to do this intervention, because <laughs> someone yeah. like me, someone like me, may not be able to learn everything. Yeah, so that was my fun, fun lingual fact.
1: (laughs) That's a super fun lingual fact. And it's, it's, I think it, I I like it because Mm -hmm. I think it almost makes emotion a little less abstract, you know?
0: It does. It makes it very clear. Um, It really does. So you can start labeling what the arms look like, what happens to the face, you know, but like intangible
1: verbs. It's different. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there's just because we have sort of this belief that we need to understand, you know, this concept of sadness, but mm-hmm. or happiness or whatever. But I mean, I don't even know what happiness <laughs> means, you know. Sometimes you I know, mean,
0: you don't know how you're feeling, you just know
2: what
1: you're doing. Exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> it and, so, and, and so it, it really, it really, it really puts emotions into a much into much more well behavioral terms because we're yeah. talking about you know these observable uh you know that's actions true. that are it's true
0: yeah that's really cool and that's
1: so really cool. and so it would make aba really kind of even more more sort of suited uh for teaching emotions in senegal than it would over here you know um,
0: um <laughs> in a way, I, 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 yeah yeah i'm not that that makes perfect sense
2: <laughs>
1: I struggle with teaching emotions out here. Um, Uh And a lot of it, I think, is partly I have, I mean, I have ADHD. And so I, you know, I sometimes struggle with kind of, um, you know, some of that uh, abstract stuff myself. But yeah, just, you know, he is crying is straight up the same every time.
0: She is laughing. Yeah. Like it's very, it's very, so we do, you know, we do some sort of like facial recognition. But it's, you know, I've I've ended up toning it down even in my French practice like if I'm working with a child in French um I sort of like found myself not really focusing on the emotion words as much and and you know emotion words they have like a whole spectrum it's like you're sad you're disappointed you're I don't know there's like all these different words for sad there's like these synonyms Mm -hmm. in French and English and like just to simplify it into one word like uh like they'll say that they're pouting like she's pouting or she's crying but like it just makes the vocabulary that you have to learn so much smaller, like and the amount of words you have to learn, and so even in my own practice, I'm sort of like shifting how I do that um, even in French, even in French
2: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah let's let's dive in a little more to your practice and kind of what that looks like since we're kind of on the topic um and then we'll maybe then we'll try to finish off with talking about the paper, so we kind of alluded at the beginning that um. Your kind of initial foray into ABA involved, um, you know, learning about ESDM and, and, and being in, uh, a natural development behavior intervention. And then you now employ an NDBI sort of model again in, 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 in your current mm-hmm. practice. So can yeah. you tell us a bit about what that looks like?
0: Um, so uh, I'm doing um, practice from a PRT perspective. I've chosen that. And it's called pivotal response treatment. Uh, developed by Cagle and Cagle, um, at the uh UC Santa Barbara um Cagle Autism Center. Uh, you might remember the name UC Santa Barbara from my um, yes, KS there course. we go. <laughs> I fell into that purely by chance, and I was just so happy that um it ended up being this way. All of my coursework and all of my practicum was from the PRT perspective. I was uh, trained up to do, to, to do PRT. I'm not fully certified. I think there's like five levels of certification or something, and I'm working on level three. So I'm like, you know, going up there. Um, but I've been doing this since 2017. I've had fantastic support from uh supervisor and mentor, uh, Dr. Sunny Kim, who, who uh, was at UC Santa Barbara, I believe. Um, she, she was great, a uh, great guidance to me throughout all of this. Um, And, uh, yeah, and it was just by chance, (laughs) it was just by chance, and I ended up loving it because it, I think it fits really well with the culture here, and I think it fits really well with the environment and the resources here. I think it just sort of happened to be the best model that I possibly could have learned to apply in this environment. Um, I never really, you know, I've never been a BCBA in a Western country, I've never been a BCBA in the States, I never really learned... I did like a 14-hour training on DTT, but <laughs> um, I never really learned how to do, I guess, more American style or more, I guess, structured ABA that you see in like mm-hmm. YouTube videos, you know, and like, and like, like yeah. what we saw in our courses. Sometimes I do PRT, which is much looser and it's naturalistic. It's an N, what is that acronym? N-D-B-I? D- N-D-B-I? D- yeah, I forgot. Um, I should know this. Um, but it's a it's a it's a naturalistic it's a naturalistic intervention uh, model that is um, founded in in the child's initiations, especially the first words program, which is what I use um, when I work with my little ones. Uh, you basically you're not the leader; the child is the leader. And you can propose activities, but you are not in control. You are not the one that's leading things, which I think is common across most, like you know, naturalistic methods. You know, there's NET and, and other ones, um, but you mm-hmm. apply that to everything. You apply that to everything, and um, wh- and one of the other one one of the other reasons why I love it is, uh, it heavily, heavily emphasizes the child keeping track of their own behaviors, uh, self monitoring. It heavily emphasizes. Working with each member of the household, each member of the community that the child uh, is exposed to. Um, you can even totally do away with interventionists, and, it, and, it, and they probably prefer it that way. Um, having the super, supervisor work directly with the parent in parent coaching, directly with uh, the right. teacher, directly with the aide, directly with the nanny, whoever they interact with on a day-to-day basis. They're viewed as the best um, interventionist than, than any trained uh, interventionist coming in from the outside could be. And so I've sort of started, um, I'm sort of doing both now. I have interventionists doing the first words, uh, language stuff, plus, you know, some other ADA things thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also doing, I also have clients where there's no interventionist and I'm, I'm working directly with the parents, doing parent coaching. I'm coming to the house, I'm going to the school, doing school support. In um, the house, is, PRT is really cool because they use, they really emphasize using what's already in the house, not necessarily mm. bringing outside materials in, which is so great for Africa. Um, in a re- in a low resource environment, it's really hard to find toys. It's really, really, I, I cannot tell you. It's like really difficult to find toys and books near impossible sometimes. Far, far out of budget for a lot of families. And it, it seems to be not really within the culture sure. as much. Most family houses, traditional family houses, there just are no toys. The children play with what's in the house. They play pretend with each other. Um, they do a lot of work around the house. They do a lot of chores. Um, there's just different activities. There's not really toys. And so PRT was sort of poised to blend in with that and to, to, to work well with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in these homes, there's not a lot of privacy. You'll have maybe four rooms with 12 people in a courtyard. Um, so finding a space, I remember in my UW days, you had to sort of, one of the criteria for the family is that they had a private space with like a table and chairs and, and, a, and a place that you could put the toys and do a private therapy session. That's not that's not possible here in most families. There's just no privacy unless you're like in the bathroom. <laughs> and even then, even then in my you know, mother-in-law's house, the door doesn't really close and The dog is coming in and all the kids are there you know it's like you you don't have privacy like ever (laughs) um so PRT says hey there's people everywhere let's use them let's interact with them let's do social skills let's coach them like PRT is fantastic at addressing at addressing every person in the household it is it is a bit of a puzzle making sure you know coaching 12 people is not the same as coaching one it's like it's a whole thing because everything gets diluted so you have to pick and choose, you know, who's who are the main people. I just think I, I'm just fully convinced that that's the model that is the easiest to run here. Um, I, I, I've i been blessed to have access to toys through donations, through just my own tenacity. going, going to all the outdoor markets, you know, every weekend trying to find toys. Um, so I can do more like classic ABA, like how you see. I can have toys, you know, I can bring toys to the houses and I can bring kids to my therapy room here. Um, and use toys but it's it's different like we don't really do that many cognitive tasks because we I don't know kids don't really do that at school or at home there's no materials for that so I sort of am doing different things you know I'm doing things that require less materials sometimes even in my own room where I have them that's something that I've noticed how my practice has been evolving over the years is that even if I have the have the resources I've been sort of just veering towards what they would be doing in the Senegalese household anyway, um, which I believe is good practice. It's culturally competent and it's skills that are gonna be reinforced in the natural environment. So yeah, that's my that's my little plug for PRT, yeah, for, for Senegal and perhaps other countries in Africa that are similar.
1: Totally, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean lots of cool stuff here. So I mean, first off, just looking at looking at this purely from a, you know, karmic fate perspective that you would you would have you would happen upon you know the one school that offered everything online for you <laughs> yeah. and and has this sort of model that fits perfectly in the country you're in I mean right? the chances of all that seem pretty it was you know,
2: to uh, be. yeah,
1: yeah. And, I, <laughs> and I know there's a, a, a you know a, a big a lot of spirituality, uh, practiced and whatnot, mm. uh, and 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 beliefs and and, and that sort of thing in Senegal. And so, you know, I could see even even you know, you know, some some of that playing a part, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and I didn't, and 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 I, certainly when I when I when I looked you up and found your article, which we're, we're going to get to soon. Uh, that's what I wanted to talk about. I had, you know, and I sort of had in my brain, you know, one day I might I want to track down someone that does PRT. Cool. I don't know anyone. I know there's people <laughs> in, in Nova Scotia and Canada for some reason, just just as a tangent, uh, the province of Nova Scotia, the provincial model of intervention is all PRT.
0: Oh, oh cool.
1: And and, I, and that's wow. that's an area I, I am going to get into because a, a lot of my interviews are Canadian, being me from Canada. That's um, so cool. So um, I am going to be talking to someone there. But when I do, I'm going to say to them, my introduction to, to PRT is from <laughs> someone in Senegal, yeah. um, which is super cool. That's cool. Um, I need to get
0: my certification up. I don't know if you've noticed, but I haven't been using too much PRT or ABA lingo in this interview mostly just because the lingo is not reinforced in this environment. So I, I'm speaking in my person's terms like 24-7 here. And
2: I, so if, I you think
0: know, that's So that's what I'm doing here too. I, it's probably more understandable for those listening who might not be like 88 people. Um, yeah, yeah. I,
1: I have no requirements for technical language in our conversations. Good. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a place for technicality and jargon um, for sure. Um, but... Um, or many or many of us uh especially those who are really you know uh, uh, deep hardcore ABA lovers and I think those folks are awesome um sometimes we forget that there's layman's terms that we need to be using yeah and there's lots of conversation about you know translating stuff into the right language so the fact that you are using the layman's terms all the time you know I think yeah, is probably
0: I, honestly I don't always teach my interventionists I'll, you know, I'll teach them like you know positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement, like super super basics. Um, but I, I don't teach them the other words. One, because translating into French is like sort of weird. Um, <laughs> there's a glossary out there, but it's like not not everyone's agreeing on everything because um, ABA is so new in France. Um, yeah, yeah. But two, it just gets clunky. It just gets in the way. It takes time, and like I would rather teach them. You know. How 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 to run the program with that particular child? You know, cater to that particular child and his needs in a way that's more. I guess that's in, that's more. I don't know, li- literal or holistic, or I don't know the word that I'm looking for. But it, ABA sometimes just doesn't really. It just seems to make things sort of heavier and also superficial sounding at the same time. And they it might all. They might not always be absorbed by the people I'm talking to. Um, once my interventionists get to a certain point, like after they've been here for a year, that's when I start, you know, also I'll sign them up for an RBT training, which is now in French. There's a new one. Um, and I'll <clears> start like really introducing like the terminology, but not, not for the first year usually. It's all it's all in layman's
2: terms. Yeah.
1: And I also would think that maybe, you know, and others can certainly speak to this, I'm sure better than I, but ABA being sort of, uh a science that was, you know, for the most part developed and grown in an, in an Engle- in English, in English speaking countries. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, like some of those words are probably not all that translatable. You probably just up like, I, I imagine in, in, if you were doing it in Wolof, you'd probably be, be using sort of, you know, the Wolof words and then going, you know, antecedent and then continuing.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Even Wolof to you know? you know, Wolof, I think the number of vocabulary words in Wolof, like just the number of words I think is reduced. Um, so I've noticed sometimes if you translate French to Wolof and Wolof to French, it's like not anywhere near the same sentence. It's just like not even, it like barely touches the sentence that you actually want to say just because everything is so different in Wolof. So once we cross that bridge, like that ABA terminology, I don't know what's going to happen, to be honest. I don't know what, if it's difficult enough in French, it may be near impossible in Wolof.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. I spent a year (laughs) living in Montreal. Yeah, I I spent a year living in Montreal. And, uh, you know, I I I didn't really learn a whole lot of French there. There's There's a ton of English there. But when I would hear people speak in French, it would often be, you know, you know, full flowing... You know French language, and then mm-hmm. they just throw in random English words, and so yeah. you know, even even sort of even in Canada, it, it's difficult to sort of translate they some just of borrow,
0: these. So um, um, Dakar, Dakar, Wolof is it, it has it's like twenty percent French. I think it has a lot of French in it because there's just words that didn't exist before.
2: Right, right. And then once
0: you leave Dakar, once you leave the capital and go down out into the villages, that they call it like pure Wolof and that's like a completely different Wolof with like a different accent and they almost cannot understand each other. The Dakar Wolof has so much French in it that they almost can't understand each other and that just speaks to the difficulty in translation like it's just a totally totally different you know you have ABA is invented in America under American culture using English and then you try to bring it over here and some of it just doesn't can't be brought over (laughs) culturally and linguistically both it just sort of doesn't quite work is
1: you have to modify it it's got to, it's got to be modified yeah uh, and kind of kind of tie this and this is a conversation that's kind of coming up a bit in in sort of ABA reform circles mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of discussion around ABA reform and I won't get too much into it um folks can find lots of resources on there you know uh, uh, you know different things like abuse and whatever but some of these reformers are also talking about is about things like what you're saying in that Modern day, you know, modern day, like present day ABA, where you know maybe a lot of that sort of negative connotation of the early days is gone. It's still a lot of the curriculum and whatnot that are out there are not are are at least from a lot of people's perspectives not all that you know. uh, I guess cross cultural is a good term, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so or you know cross cultural also or also sort of uh, intersectional would be another maybe term to use, and so. I I know folks I have that are in kind of uh, colleagues that I have that are in in like gender diversity circles will say that you know, and I I and I and I I don't know either way. I don't really use cur- curricula in general, but a lot of them will say some of the you know these curriculums that are curricula that are out there are, you know maybe like you know very, maybe for example focused on teaching boys to use trucks you know and only use trucks and never use dolls right and that sort of thing and not explicitly saying don't ever use dolls but focusing on boys using trucks just mm-hmm. as one example mm-hmm. um uh but then there's sort of other other pieces like other other lots of these sort of other kind of cultural uh, components that also are not embedded in in these curricula and so for a country like Canada the US which is you know very multicultural you know uh, we we sort of there people have a problem with that because, you know, you're 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 teaching my kids, you know, only one way of kind of looking at things. And so I think kind of circling back to PRT, I really like how it's it it kind of it kind of molds it you can almost mold it to the culture, you know, you can kinda of shape it in kind of different ways depending on the culture you're in. And that it's really like when you talk about kind of doing tabletop ABA and whatever in a room. Mm-hmm. You train them to sort of some sort of mastery criteria, but then you got to go into generalization. Then you got to take them out of the room
2: that's the and thing. teach them. Yeah.
1: And and PRT is already doing that. Like it it starts there.
0: It's like automatic. Yeah. 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 And, it, and and yes, the goals are the goals have to be different. That's that's one of the main things. Is if you're going to be doing this, you know, something that's automatically generalized, something that's uh, culturally competent, something that's you know, if you want to say reforms, Um, which is a good word, you have, like, the base foundation of that is, one, changing the setting, and, two, changing the learning goals. You know, you can't do, like, touch rabbit, like, when you're in a San courtyard, unless there's rabbits, I guess, (laughs) which there are in some family houses, but, like, your goals have to change. Your goals for the child have to change, Um, and that's so highly discussed in ABA reform circles and in cultural sensitivity circles across all different types of cultures. The goals have to change. Um and and PRT is also good at um, you know, child initiation and child motivation, the foundation of which is when the kid is older, they can they can have a say in the goals. And they can, you know, they can their motivators are gonna be what is used here. Mm-hmm. And that can be applied toward, across all different groups, you know, any, any culture. Um, and that, that's my main, that, that's what I like about it is you, you, you need to sit down and, and rethink the goals. Um, I use various evaluations in my intervention. Um, Abel's, Vineland, you know, all, all that. The longer I've been doing this here in Senegal, the more I've become tired of, um, repeating the evaluations and then like, Maybe a quarter of the items are, or more. Maybe fifty percent of the items are not applicable to this environment or to this culture. I just can't. Like, can the child use a fork? Well, no kids use forks here. Nobody uses forks. Can they read a clock on the wall? Well, nobody here has clocks on the wall. That's not a thing. Huh. Um, You know, like there's all. They're like, can they use certain types of toys? Can they stack four blocks in a row? I once gave my blocks to an interventionist and just had her, you know, play with him for a while while I had to go do something. I came back and the blocks weren't touched, and she and I said, "Are you guys okay? What you know? Are you good?" And she said, "What do I do?"
1: <laughs>
0: and she'd never seen blocks
2: before.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. This is like a
0: twenty-four-year-old. You know, she'd never seen blocks before. I was like, "Oh gosh." Yeah part of the training curriculum for interventionists if you're going to do the classic ABA with all the toys and everything you have to teach all the interventionists how to play with the toys and then you have to go backwards and um and uh teach uh creativity in so you teach it like how the toys are supposed to be used and then uh, after that you can start teaching creativity and cool alternative ways to use the toys and then they would teach all those skills to the kids well if the kids aren't going to be exposed to that in the household environment in the first place do you need to do this? this is like months of training before you can even get to like RBT training you know? you gotta reform the goals like you can't like the ables or something has like a block stacking measure it's like I have to, yes. skip, I have to skip most of the goals
1: I know you have to build your own <laughs> new towers yeah,
0: it's like I need a new evaluation for Senegal or we can just scrap the evaluation and do it a different way. But like, this isn't really working.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just imagining sort of, um, you know, cause uh, for those that are, aren't familiar with maybe the Ables or the VB map or something like that, or, or even, um, uh, EFL, they use, um, it almost looks like little little blocks in it, almost like in an excel sheet and they kind of stack and you and as they become competent in things or if they've already learned things you shade those in and the idea at the end is you have a a fully wonderfully one ideally you have a one color tower but you might have some different color towers your tower sounds like it's it, it's like a jenga tower that's about to fall exactly um, there's because, gaps <laughs> and,
0: and and you don't want to get this is this is what I am so careful on when I do my reports my reports are nothing like how we do in the US because they, yeah. I don't want the gaps to accidentally, or or you know, uh, or have people look at it and think that like, oh, the child doesn't know this; it's the child's fault. You know, mm-hmm. and the violin the Vineland scores have to be reduced because if it's a non applicable, you score it as a one instead of a two. Two means mastered. One is sort of maybe or not non applicable sometimes. So if it's not applicable, they're gonna get a bunch of ones instead yeah. of twos whereas in, in in the american environment maybe they would have been perfectly capable of learning this maybe they yeah, would have gotten yeah. twos all the violin scores are lower so i like stopped giving the violin score tables and i did, you know cause, like 'cause like because it's all ha- lower it does not it's like oh this kid is at a, a two-year-old age level and he's four and i'm looking at him and i'm like i don't think he's at a two-year-old age level for this domain so i have to redo my reports i have to do like mostly qualitative And I have to compare, it's just like, I have to compare the child's scores to his own scores in the past instead of to American typically developing children, which is what the scores want to do. I can't do that because that's just not applicable. I can't give age equivalents because those are based on American typically developing children. I have to scrap it. It's a whole thing.
1: (laughs) This opens up the door for a whole other line of questioning, which I'm I'm afraid to go, not afraid to go down. I'm excited to go down. uh, But, but. I will go down slightly, just, just it, it, it now it gets me thinking of sort of immigrants, you know, people coming from, oh, um, man, say some, right. Say, you know, someone coming from Senegal, say to the States, you know, their, their kid gets a, a psycho, a psych ed assessment when they first go to school.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it paints this picture of them being, you know, totally inadequate, millions of deficits and all these sorts of things. Not including a language
0: it, barrier during the assessment.
1: Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, if if you can even get to that piece, and it really paints a picture of a you know a, of a kid with you know who's really really behind.
0: Yeah, yeah. When in fact he could be perfectly capable. He just hasn't been exposed to these. Ide- some of these are ideas. Some of them are objects. Yeah. Ideas, object, like all this different stuff. Words. It's like you just have you. Your home environment is perfectly adapted to be what it needs to be for where it is in that context. And they have grown up in that home, and they are very much adapted to that environment, perfectly adapted. And then you take them out of that, and you put them somewhere else, and suddenly they fail. And if you've ever been an expat or a foreigner or an immigrant to any other country, you feel it in your soul. Like, I came here to Senegal, and I was 13 again. I was 13 years old. And I had to relearn how to be an adult. Like, this is how you find an apartment. This is how you make a phone call. This is how you go to the store. Like, you had to relearn everything. And and it's true that some people, maybe they don't have the perspective and they think that you're kind of slow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or they're just like, how can you not know this? This is like, like everyone, every child knows this at the age of three and you don't know this. It's like, well, I, it doesn't work like that where I come from immigrants, I'm sure going the opposite direction and they have the same thing. And, and, and if that ego hit if that self-esteem hit starts at age six or seven or whatever it can be it could have drastic consequences just because we are kind of rigid and we have our evaluations our psych evaluations which are built to discover where the holes are and, you know where the gaps are where the deficits are my first thing I say in my reports like my first page is all the strengths of the child because I want to make sure that that like that's the most important thing I want to make sure that the parents know that their child is a fantastic kid. And they're not strengths that are necessarily listed in the evaluations. They're subjective, probably. You know, they're observed, but they're important. And you've got to start there because that's validation. That's validating the child as a person.
1: The second secret word is SEDEGAL. S-E-N-E-G-A-L kind of last piece this makes me think about now too is a kid you know a, a kid coming over from say senegal to the states you know gets assessed by a system that doesn't take into account any of those cultural components this is really basically an individual just entering a system of racism like hardcore like 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 if, if this isn't an example of systemic racism i don't know what is <laughs> um um uh, yeah. You know, that th- that our entire system was designed
0: and tested on
1: to make you fail and paint a picture of you as being someone lower than us because of these assessments that we're doing in North America on you coming from a different cultural background, which would be the same for any sort of, um, you know, even second, third, fourth, fifth generation immigrant mm-hmm. um, living in North America who's who was born there. Uh, but it's still subjected to sort of that that and sort there have of, been, there
0: have been studies. There have been studies found there's there's evidence now that if the child is primed to think that they might fail because of all of these effects, then they're gonna they're gonna have a, a, a larger chance of failing. They're gonna have a larger chance of, of, you know, maybe worse scores in math or something because they've been Primed that way because all the evaluations and all the assessments and everything have been created for someone else. And so that creates, that maintains that cycle that, oh, they're not good enough, they're not fitting in, this is not where you belong, this is not your place, this is not for you. Like it keeps repeating that
2: attitude through the generations.
1: Okay, so we're kind of started touching on sort of some of the stuff that the way people kind of approach things in, in North America and the way people kind of approach things in Senegal. Well, that's kind of that's a a big piece of of, of what your your study was about. So let, let let's dive into that a bit now. Really neat study, uh, and uh, it sounds like there's actually um, not not exactly like this, but there's quite a few studies on autism that are kind of happening in in Africa, which is cool. I I didn't even know about that until I kind of dived into mm-hmm. this article. Um, a lot of
0: quantitative or qualitative. It's
1: yeah, policy. yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so maybe let us just talk about
0: the assessments don't work here. So you have to have yeah, one hundred percent,
1: one hundred percent. So yeah, this 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 uh, this paper is is is, is it has a lot of really interesting kind of qualitative um, uh, analysis tools built in, which is really really neat and I think really worth talking about because a lot of the stuff in ABA we're often used to using just sort of that quantitative approach. I have seen some ABA research that. Does use qualitative data, but uh, sort of that on top of uh, of quantitative data.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: which in the right context can be the right thing to do, I believe. Um, but if you're limited, if you're limited, yeah, qualitative is the way to go.
1: So what's the study about? What, what were you doing here?
0: Um, so uh, I interviewed parents raising children with with autism uh, in Senegal. You read out the title, I believe, in the beginning of the podcast, kind of a long title. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to do a cultural comparison of parental experiences between the US and Senegal. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of research articles on autism and dozens on the on the parental um, the experiences of parents raising their kids in the United States. Um, but there isn't a whole lot coming out of Africa and I wanted to put Senegal on the map. I wanted to see what a comparison would look like because um, I, I and obviously just you know looking at it, from the surface, it's it seems like it's all differences, um, <laughs> but there are some similarities and there are some interesting differences that came out that weren't that weren't totally um, predicted. I did everything from Dakar, um, and I did um, method is called um, IPA, interpretive phenomenological analysis. And in IPA, you sort of do this snowballing uh, method of finding participants. Um, participants sort of they will use their own Um, word of mouth and everything to, to bring other people to you and you stop gathering participants, um, when all of the themes that you find start repeating and stop, you stop finding new themes. So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't identify the number of people ahead of time. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't decide on my end ahead of time. Uh, you, you just stop when, when you, when you stop finding new themes and when everything starts repeating and you're like, well, you know, that, that may be that. Um, so I, it ended up being, all, uh, exactly seven and seven. It just ended up being that on its own. Um, seven American families and seven Senegalese families. Um, and one thing that was interesting was the American families were all, I did their interviews over Skype. Um, they were all American mothers, just by chance. Um, and the Senegalese families were all sorts of different people. Some were mothers, some were fathers, some were grandmas, some were uncles, some were godfathers. Um, and I, and I thought that's very reflective of Senegalese culture. Children are in a house that's full of like a million people. They're raised by everybody. Um, And when you ask the mom, one of my interview questions was like, oh, so just the basic ones that I start with, you know, so what does your child do during the day? You know, what does she like to do? Um, What's her schedule? The American moms will be like, okay, so we wake up at 7.30 or we wake up at 5.30 um, and we do this and we have breakfast and we do that and we do this and we do that. And like the American moms, they knew exactly what their child did all day what they like to mm-hmm. do, and they often did it with them. The, Amer- the Senegalese families were often like, you know what, I don't know. I don't know. There's a quote in my article somewhere. I don't know what she does all day.
2: Um, I read that, yeah. You know,
0: because she's with, she's with her grandma, or she's, you know, sort of, it's just diluted. The child is raised by everybody, so nobody really knows. <laughs> so even like the basic questions that I started with, you already are seeing differences and how the kids are raised here. Um, there's infinite child infinite child care, free child care. That's a whole huge difference.
1: I, I think I read one line that said uh, and uh, that there was even points where they didn't even know where their kid was.
0: Yeah, uh, and that's part of the, that's um, uh, I think reflective of the, the population that I <sighs> ended, ended up happening um, was a lower income population sort of outside of the car. So I wasn't, um, I wasn't, interviewing super urban uh Dakarwa, you know, urban people. I, it was sort of out, it wasn't quite out in the regions, how they call it, but it was on the edge. And as you get to the edge of Dakar, the income levels of families sort of get lower and lower, and then out in the villages, it's it's much lower. And so those neighborhoods have more of a village vibe. And the village vibe is... Every single family knows each other. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone takes care of everyone because it's Senegal <laughs> and they're amazing. I'm sure there's like family drama and stuff just like every other country. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure, <laughs> but like the overall feel is solidarity, solidarity and kin, and communal, communal, uh, uh, help. Um, so the child, and these are children on the spectrum, you know, like one girl was 18 years old, nonverbal. Uh, they would just leave the house and it was fun. They would just leave the house, and they would go visit other houses, and they would get fed. And, uh, you know, if they got dirty, they would, like, change their clothes, and then they would eventually, like, wander back into the house. Um, (laughs) Mm. And this isn't just the teenagers. This is, like, the two-year-olds, you know. Even in Dakar, among typical families, they'll send the two-year-old to the boutique down the way to buy something and back, just, like, by themselves. Because they know, and this is a Senegal thing, or maybe it's an Africa thing, I don't know, but they know that everyone's going to watch out for the kid. They know everyone's going to take care of the kid. You know everyone's going to sort of, quote, parent the kid the way they would, uh, because it's a little bit more uniform here than in the States. And so there's trust. There's communal trust. And that's in urban environments, but that's taken to an extreme in the villages where everyone's known each other for generations, and the kids with autism are known. Um, and, And everyone trusts everyone to take care of them.
1: There's a, like a cliche line of, you know, it takes a community to raise a child. And this sounds like, or a village to raise a child. It sounds like yeah. this is actually well, maybe, what's happening.
0: You know, we say that in America, but we have no clue. Like when you yeah. see that with your own eyes, everything clicks into place. And you realize like, this is how this is supposed to be. Like, this is where we came from.
2: And it got,
0: it got broken with, I don't know what, the industrial revolution, something happened and it kind of got broken and our families are scattered and I don't know the names of my neighbors in Seattle and, and there's stranger danger and the kids don't go to the park by themselves, you know? And in Senegal, it's just like the exact opposite. Like you can just send your kid anywhere and they're going to be safe and you know they're going to be safe. You know that, and there's a lot of kids here, you know, there's just kids everywhere. There's people everywhere. (laughs) It's a very dense a dense city. There's a lot of people. Um and there's a lot of trust with strangers that as an American I was um a little bit nervous and shocked to see in the beginning and then I got used to it. Yeah. So I I, I did talk about that in my report and in like, you know, research terms I guess. <laughs> um but yeah, yeah.
1: Lots of differences. So with with the 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 IPA approach and I and, and I I'm I'm trying to resist using this awful joke, but you know when I, <laughs> I think know. of IPA when I think of IPA I think about other things. Um, so, um, but yeah. uh, moving on um, um, with the, with this the IPA approach, which I, I think I, I'd rather just say that anyway because the words are so long. Um, yeah. From from what I kind of re- read in, in in the article and from what you're telling me, so you you have you have this sort of state of as you kind of describe this continuous recruitment. So you're you're basically uh, you have the continuous recruitment and 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 it's sort of immediate analysis too. Is that right? So you, yes, you kind you, of you recruit clients
0: exactly. You have to analyze before you find the next person or before you interview the right. next person to see if the themes have stopped repeating or not or to see if the influence has stopped coming right. or not, sorry. Yeah, so you would analyze immediately. I want to backtrack a second and underline why I chose this. Yeah, um, please. Because there, there are some critiques on qualitative qualitative measures. One of them is that um, there, there's, there's non-generalizability, uh, meaning uh, right. if you have an N of seven, how can you declare that that represents that population? Sure. Um, My goal here was not necessarily to represent the population, but to give a snapshot into this community Um, and what can be useful, especially in countries where there's no prior research, there's nothing quantitative happening in this situation. You don't even really know what to look at. Mm -hmm. You don't really know what to measure in a way that's culturally competent. And so this allows you to start identifying variables for future quantitative analysis. So I I I wasn't necessarily trying to declare like this is how it is in Senegal, you know, and I'm a foreigner anyway. What do I know? Um, <laughs> this was just identifying variables. This is like here are things that could possibly maybe be affecting this, but we need further analysis. So that was the goal. That was the goal here.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. It's so with that with that process. So essentially, you do that continuous um, mm-hmm. recruitment until you get your until until your themes kind of. Um, are, are are starting to be the same. Yeah. Um and then Iedic reduction, s- I think, is in there. So reduction, of, right, terms. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's so yeah. It, right, my, my right here. So it says my
0: co-author um, Tara Marshall, she's the qualitative analysis like guru in this. So she yeah. Shout out to Tara. Out. Yeah, thank you, Tara.
1: <laughs> L- looking at kind of just your methods section, so it says within IPA, I I re- reduction. Uh, which is, i.e., distilling the essential components of a given phenomenon is achieved by extensive review and thematic analysis of interview mm-hmm. content. Mm-hmm. Um, it focuses on the understanding of the unique perspective of each, each participant, and then they do it's some comparison across subjects um, after you do Afterwards. the individual piece yeah. in there. And so the 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 results, I guess, of any kind of, I guess, maybe IPA kind of approach is that you then kind of come up with some succinct themes, right? Yes.
0: yeah. Each group, each country group, the Americans and the Senegalese have their own theme books by the end.
1: Gotcha. And and with so
0: themes and sub and sub themes as well within those themes defined.
1: And so what did you what 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 kind of themes did you come up with?
0: Um kind of dependent on the group.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Um yeah. Uh, oh gosh, I need my study in front of me for the exact labels. Well, maybe um, may,
1: maybe a better a better question is because that's that you're going to be that, that's a lot of information. Is, is yeah. Um,
0: there was like there was like I think what twenty of them or something or more than that, and in, in the end,
1: what really stood out I think is more the question. What
0: stood out I think is is the differences. Honestly, um, for example, um, I, I there were some themes of the role of the parent and how they think of themselves as a parent and what that role means that is hinged on the parents resources at their disposal, which is something that I found in my results. So one of those themes would be role as a caregiver in the home, uh, role as a provider of services to the child, which was a very American role, like they are the coordinator Mm. for the child, you know, because the American system is so intense, you've got wait lists, you've got insurance coverage. You've got to navigate all this stuff and we have such a slew of services available that the parents then have to navigate this and become the role of the provider of services for their child. So, you know, do you want to do ABA? Do you want to do speech, uh, speech therapy? Do you want to do OT? Do you want to do all this stuff? It's, it's like the role of coordinator and then the role of the teacher at home. Some parents choose to teach their children at home. Those roles differ. You know, in Senegal, there's no therapy. There might be a specialized school in the area, but every single one of my students that I interviewed, every every one of my Senegalese families that I interviewed, the child was no longer attending school and they spent all day at home. So the role of the parent is more caregiver and teacher in the home than provider of services. Um, another American role was advocate, public advocate for their child. Uh, because you'll be in IEP meetings or or you know, any kind of other meeting and you have to advocate. For your child's needs, you know your child better than anyone, and this or you have to advocate to the insurance companies that want to cover something, or you have to advocate. You know you have to fight for your child all the time. That that didn't really come up in the Senegalese ones. Um, you know they they advocate for their child. I guess if there's stigma, um, but that the stigma even was seemed to be reduced compared to the American experiences. The Americans had all these stories about negative stigma they were facing, and then. And then when I asked some of these families about it, um, they couldn't really think of any examples of negative stigma. Except, oh, they stare at him on the bus. Um, so being an advocate for the child that is a little bit absent because there's just no reason yet.
2: Right. You know,
0: there there's no reason yet. He's at home all day watching TV. She's at, she's at home all day sitting in her chair. Um, so who are you going to advocate to? Um, so that was that. That was like the role of the parent category, and then mm. had subcategories under that. Um, and there's all sorts. I guess if you have my paper in front of me, you can like pinpoint ones if you want. I can talk about them.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think I, I I think that was an important piece. I mean, there 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 are you know we think we're you know I mean we are we we definitely are, are privileged in North America to mm-hmm. have you know you know access to yeah. some of these kinds of modern, Brooklyn's modern, very
0: stressed as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, we, <laughs> but, but the, the problem is is we've created Great. this massive system that's very funding dependent um, that, uh, you know, has lots of options in it, but to, to like, I I think that I like the term navigate to, to, to navigate this system is, is, it's
2: like a I mean, hard I've, job. I've,
1: yeah. And I've seen many a parent that um, basically have become, you know, in a lot of ways, not they're they're already experts on their children,
2: but they've become mm-hmm.
1: experts in autism, experts in ABA, mm-hmm. and they've done so much studying and they've read more books than I have. Yeah, um, yeah, sort of in the field to in order to sort of successfully try to successfully navigate that system, and so yeah. Uh, but where there is no system in Senegal, right? because yeah, there's, there's nothing to fight, navigate. Who
0: are you going to fight against if there's if there's you know no one there? Um, uh, and then another one, another one, and the Americans. This is totally subjective. I didn't measure stress at all in my my study. The Americans were so much more stressed out than the Senegalese. You could just tell. The Senegalese had other emotions going on. I don't want to say it was all like happy joy. Like, obviously, their child is sitting at home all day. How can you not? But the, the Americans, they were, like, their days were so full and so scheduled down to every half hour one, one mm-hmm. because they have to organize all these things, but two, childcare in the U.S. is ridiculously expensive, and it was not doable for a lot of the families that I was interviewing. So the parents had to juggle their work schedules around their child's needs, or one parent would have to stay home while the other parent works, and and the lack of childcare was a massive source of stress. I believe, you know, we gotta do. I mean, that's actually been proven in the U.S. <laughs> Uh, across several studies um, studying stress in in in, in parents uh, raising children with disabilities and I am assuming any child, the lack of childcare is is endemic in the U.S. and it's incredibly difficult for small families. Remember, these are usually you know nuclear families, mom, dad, kid. It's very 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 difficult to navigate and and to to maintain you know a, a sense of a sense of calm and order. Um, in Senegal, you've got, like, the whole entire village raising the child. You have infinite child yeah. care. It's free. So most of the parents, you know, I, I, I they would work full-time. They would go and leave um, and then come back in the evening, and it was fun. There was one American family who lived like that, one American mother who was in a household of, like, seven adults, and so she had, like, grandparents and everybody there, and they helped um, raise her child with her, and her stress level, just talking was reflective, her tone of voice was reflective of the Senegalese families. You could tell she was um moving a little slower and she, you know, in a good way. Um and and the stress level was lower. So that would be a variable to look at if we're gonna do like a quantitative study based on assessments, you know, in in Africa's stress levels. I think the stress sources in Africa are from different sources. Um, So you do have stress, but it's not that Mm -hmm. hectic, manic, okay, I have to be here in 15 minutes and over there in 20 minutes. You know, it's not that hectic source of stress. It's like a completely different source.
1: Totally. The social themes and sub-themes were particularly interesting. We know that most, you know, families of autistic kids... In North America, you know, struggle socially. They, you know, they yeah. don't really have a social life. They don't get out with their friends. They don't have. They can't, you know, have a night out. They can't sort of, you know, even sort of um, getting together in these parent groups or whatnot that that exist and are available for a lot of folks is difficult because you have to come up with childcare. You have to do have all exactly. those pieces in a, place. That was
0: a theme in my paper, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: so and so, I, th- I thought it was amazing that. I kind of I was reading through that whole section on social isolation and and the things that parents go through, and then there's mm-hmm. there's one there's one sentence at the end of that section. This theme did not occur among the Singalese.
0: <laughs> nope. You are you are the opposite of socially isolated. You are surrounded by people twenty four seven. No privacy even in the bathroom. Yeah, which can be its own source of stress. I, I believe <laughs> You're, yeah, if yeah. you yeah yeah never have any alone time, but the culture has. You know, evolved around that. The culture values alone time. If you spend too much time alone, they'll say, "Oh, you're like a you're like a white person. You're like a Tuba, mm. which is white person. You know, you're not somebody um You know, it's like and I I mean, yeah, I I know a lot of Senegalese people who do spend time alone and on their projects, but I think in general, spending like shutting yourself in a room by, by yeah, by yourself for hours is considered like tragic or inconsiderate to the family you know there's there's totally different values there and you know li- living in a in a host family or, or in, a, in a senegalese family as someone who's used to privacy is definitely something that you need to shift you know it's something that you need to get used to um but the poor american mothers they some mothers they said that they were chained to their houses they couldn't leave their homes yeah. because their children couldn't leave their homes and they had no childcare, so they didn't get to ever leave Whereas in the Senegalese culture, you have someone walking through the door. I'm not kidding, like every 20 minutes, the door is unlocked. (laughs) A lot of doors don't have locks. You just walk in, you know, they don't have locks. You just walk in and everybody's walking in and walking in and walking in and you end up seeing and you pass by. It's called pass by, like we pass by this person's house, pass by that person's house. There's no appointments. You don't have to set a time. There's always going to be someone home because there's 12 people there. You know, someone's going to be home and you just pass by and people drop by your house. And so you see the whole community within a day. You see all of it cool.
2: Um, and they so have cool. these
0: structured, you know, they have tea time. Tea time lasts two hours and you can have it up to three times a day. And that can fill uh the tea is called ataya, and that can fill a lot of time, and that can that is the time when people can pass by and take a cup of tea and leave or sit and talk, and that's when everybody can connect with one another, and that's where all the resources are passed all around, you know, that's where everybody sort of recenters themselves emotionally, maybe, or or in their in their in their community. So if you're a child growing up in that, you get used to having people around all the time and parents get used to just having that support unit. Senegal is excellent. They have excellent internal resources in the community and the family. Fantastic. Yeah. The only thing that's missing is the external resources, like right. schools and therapies. Yeah.
1: But in some ways, those might be kind of less important, you know? Yeah, I it mean, depends where
0: you're standing. It depends sort of, yeah, yeah what what your priorities are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I
1: don't know the answer to that one. Yeah, no, but again, I think, you know, again, kind of dipping back to the PRT, the PRT just fits so nice in this.
0: It fits so well. Yeah, yeah. It it, it
1: can capitalize
0: on these amazing internal resources that the family has.
1: Lots And and lots of sort of the sub-themes around social, so whether it was social spousal tension, social tension outside the home, sources of social support, over, I mean, not that none of those things, you know, were ever a problem, but it just seems so much, so much less in in Senegal. The tension. The tension. The 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 lack of support. All those sorts of pieces that that you know families yeah. and that, that North American mothers were experiencing.
0: Yeah, it depends. It depends. One thing I've learned here is it depends on the family very much. So, so there is there was some tension in Senegal. There is there is definitely stigma here. I don't want to say that there isn't. Um, but a lot of it happens quietly. It happens in a more subtle way. It's not like the mm. stigma or the tension that you hear from in other countries where there's violence. You don't hear stories like that in Senegal. Not saying it doesn't happen again. I'm a foreigner, and people are very selective on what they tell me because I'm a foreigner. But you'd, you'd think in four years that I, I would have heard something, you know, something more stronger, And you don't, you just don't hear that. You hear some parent blame, oh, you know, she didn't obey her husband, so that's why her child is like this. You know, kind of little things like that. A lot of families don't believe it. Some families do. Totally depends on the family. Um, You know, there's little things, but it just doesn't quite seem as strong. In America, we have this culture where we're very vocal about our personal thoughts to everybody. (laughs) You know, we're very, we teach our children to talk and talk about their feelings and talk about their opinions and their thoughts and advocate for themselves. And that may translate into being more vocal about, you know, what you think of people and what you think of what they're doing. In Senegal, you're, you know, there's there's a more culture of dignity and humility. So you may not always say what you think. Um, You may not always talk about yourself. So if someone's having thoughts, they may not say it. Which may reduce some tension, but it could also create tension in other places. I think it's much more complicated than you know how the study is able to to illustrate it, which is why we need more research here on things like this. We need a, we need more research on stigma. The interviews need to be done by a local person in the local languages. I know and I listed this in my limitations, um, I know that people treat me differently so they may not be talking about everything. Privacy was a huge issue in the in the interviews because you just can't find privacy anywhere. (laughs) You know, and there's and with the transportation, um, you can't always bring people to a private place. So uh they may be watching what they're saying because there's what you know, there's everybody's there, you know, that kind of thing. Um so this I, I do think more research is needed into things like stigma into things, you know, that may have especially a more emotional component. Um, done by a Senegalese team in Senegalese languages. I really think it's important. And Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but I do, I'm curious about the stigma thing because you hear stories from all over Africa about, about children being hurt and I have never heard of that here in Senegal. So I really, I really think it's important to do, to do more studies on that, to do, to find out more information. Um, you know, maybe not comparing to a Western culture this time, maybe comparing Africa across Africa, because Africa is huge. You can't you can't treat it like it's one thing. You got, you know, you got 13 or 15 different ethnic groups and something all alone. Like it might be more useful to start to start looking across ethnic groups or looking across countries in that
1: way. The third secret word is cultural. It's it's really easy for us, uh, at, you know, over here on our side to to look at Africa as just being a country, a and single I've, country.
0: I've met people, grown grown adults, who don't really realize that there's like countries in Africa. <laughs>
1: And no, and that they could be in any way different, you know?
0: Yeah, it's just not taught in our curriculums. Like African history is like, there was slavery. And then that's like all they talk about. <laughs> and like slavery was like the tiniest oh. blip here. Yeah. And Senegalese, when they talk about it, they don't talk about it unless you bring it up. It's like something that happened to someone else very far away. It's not, as, it's not as up close as it is in the U.S. There's no emotions tied to it because it wasn't really... It's like, oh, well, our ancestors weren't enslaved because, you know, we're here. Um, mm-hmm. So it's something that happened to someone else. It's, it's, it's important to compare Africa to Africa and not necessarily compare it to, like, America with all of our stressors and all of our racial tensions that you cannot overlay here. You cannot overlay the racial tensions here. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, there's a lot,
2: there's a lot of work to be done.
1: Actually, just, just on the side, just touching on that, what did you know if, like, like again, do you know if Senegal was sort of a, a source for slavery in the day?
0: It was. Um, there's an island here called Goree Island. If you visit it, there's a slavery museum and there's the slave houses where they used to keep all of the enslaved, uh, not Senegalese, just Senegalese, right. but from all over um, in those houses. You call them houses with, you know, huge air quotes. Um, and they were directly shipped to America, and Brazil, I believe. Um, and then, well, pen drawings and then photos of, of what it was in the 1800s. Yeah, and you know, there's slavery of Af- there was slavery of Africans by Africans, a lot of this was done by Africans. And it's important to remember that slavery existed in Africa far before anything else happened, you know, far before Europe got here. <laughs> but it was different, it was differently done. And then yeah. the colonizers came, the, the slavers came, um, and they changed what slavery looked like, what it does. They they systematized it. And then, yeah, Senegalese people were enslaved, but they, you know, the modern people here, it, it's sort of, oh, it's far away. And, and it was a tragedy that happened a long time ago, but there's no lasting scars here.
2: Mm.
1: But,
0: you know, the scars here from colonization that happened far later. And it's more psychological, I guess, than tangible.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, another sort of theme that there's quite a few, and folks, uh, you know, I'll I'll be linking to everything we talk about, including this article, and folks can, you know, dig deep into those themes themselves. Um, the last theme though that I thought was an interesting one, maybe we could touch on, was this sort of. Well, before we do it, one thing I kind of saw was there was a lot of themes that sort of suggested that you know actually it's, well, well, not everything is rosy. In some ways, it's actually a better gig to to. uh be, to be autistic and live in Senegal than it is to live in North America. If you have the choice, you know, and, and, depends and, 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 you know, and it would work for you culturally, you might want to be, yeah, yeah exactly. it fam- Heavily depends on the family.
0: But sometimes with some of my families, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> That's <Yeah>.
1: true. <laughs> but, yeah. but one thing I saw that had, had quite a difference and and definitely, you know, it was 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 the, the 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 last item the the visions of the future oh yeah uh, it, it really sounded like so i mean i think there there's definitely parents in north america that don't see you know their their kids ever doing anything successful um you know, you autistic know, or not yeah, you know you that. know just in general just they, they don't have they you don't they, they, they're, five they're, year know. old
0: home in the basement.
1: yeah <laughs> exactly exactly, but there was certainly um a lot of folks that have a goal of independence and have a goal mm-hmm. of um mm-hmm. uh, of of uh, uh, uh you know maybe go to college or um you know and they kind of hang on to sort of one idea and, and not that any of those are are improbable or impossible, there's certainly lots of examples of. You know, autistic folk heading off to college and oh, living independently and getting married and having kids and, and doing everything. And, 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 and that's certainly, you know, it, it's a realistic possibility. But then I would see, but then when I read the, the, the Senegal perspective, it didn't seem like there was, there, was, there was much hope.
0: It could be a lack of hope. It could also be just different values. Independence is a huge American value rooted in our own culture of independence from England and then you apply that to all of your citizens and this is an ideal mm. that set for our kids it's like you know it's one of the words that you hear in America all the time <laughs> yeah you know we want independence for our kids and the goal of raising a child is so that they leave you and live on their own and have a life on their own and can support themselves and there's this sort of stigma attached like if you don't do that then like oh you're not a real adult yet if, you, if you're if you living at home and you're 30, there's, like, this shame. I think it's becoming more common, actually, to stay at home later in the U.S. because of how everything is. Um, but there's still this sort of shame of, like, oh, she never really grew up. She wasn't able to be independent. She wasn't able to do that. How sad. Um, in Senegal, and I'm, we're not talking about autism here. I'm just talking about, you know, everybody. Um, in Senegal, they don't have that. I, I I guess independence is, is, is differently thought of, and so mm. kids grow up and they are sort of expected to stay at home and help the, the parents and be there for the parents. Remember, this is a culture where there's no social security, there's no benefits, there's no retirement homes, there's no governmental safety net for the elderly, not like in America. Um, so you take care of your parents, at, that is your job. As a young adult, a middling adult, an older adult, you take care of your parents. And so it's fully expected that at least some of the kids are going to stay home and take care of their parents. There's no shame in that. And the parents will help them as much as they can. You help each other. It goes in both ways. And that's not considered, in the U.S., you would see that as not being independent. But here it's seen as like you're doing your duty as a child to your parents. Women usually stay at home until they're married and then they go live with their husbands and their mothers-in-law. Men, men can stay at home uh, until quite advanced ages. <laughs> you know, um, some men live with their parents, you know, permanently. Um, and then some men they'll sort of move out in their 30s, and they might like get an apartment for a second, and then they might, you know, but they'll, they'll swing back for lunch every day, you know, because no one ever really goes that far, um, unless they're immigrating to a different country because there's a diaspora happening. But everything's sort of centered around the family house, the big family, family, you know, the big the big family, and, and everybody always comes back to the big family. Um, and so if you marry a wife, she will probably come and live with you, with your parents. The income in a household come, usually comes from all sorts of different sources. Um, for example, my, my husband's household, um, there must be like six or seven different, different incomes coming in to support that house. Mm. It's not just the people that live there. It's like all the brothers and sisters who are all scattered all over the car and all over the world. They're all supporting. And so when you have like 12 different people or however many people in contributing to a household, there's no need for independence. You don't need that. That's not an ideal. Right. Yeah. You contribute what you can and then that's, that's good. And you contribute through work for your parents and work for your family, not just money. If you're, if you're physically on site. So in my study, you know, the Americans were just totally stressed out because they're, they're trying to uh, have these lofty ideals for their kids of only oh, they need to have an apartment by this age and they need to be able to have a job and they have to go to university and they have to do this and they have to do that. Whereas the Senegalese parents, they just sort of knew, you know, family members will sort of inherit people um, if there's anybody who, who is unable to take care of themselves fully you know, if someone passes away, then then you will, that person will just come into your house, and it is completely unquestioned, and no one will ever complain, because that's just not how you think of it, you know, like, that person is your family member, of course you would take that in, and so it's not. of course you would take that person in, and so it's never assumed, like, as though, you never talk about people as though they're burdens, (laughs) like, you you never try to push them out, 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 you know, because, even in the economy here in Senegal, there, there's not a lot of jobs. What Some statistic was out there. It's like 75 or like, what is it? 65% of Senegal is under the age of 26 or something, or 70, 75% of Senegal is under the age of 30. It's like it is a ridiculously young population here, and there's not a lot of jobs to go around. So most young people are unable to find classic employment, traditional employment from an employer the way that we do in the Western world. So if that cannot be an expectation for like any of the siblings of this child, yeah, yeah, yeah. why why on earth would you expect that from this child if, they, if they, all of his older siblings can't find jobs either? Like that would be ridiculous to expect, you know? Um, so there's an economic component. There's a family values component. I mean, there's all these different layers that you can break this down under. In the end, the American parents are totally stressed out trying to find permanent housing for their kids, and the Senegalese parents uh, aren't really thinking about that.
1: No, not at all. Yeah, yeah, That's <laughs> yeah. uh, so cool. I mean, I mean, it makes me think about sort of situations where I've been in, or in, in sort of sessions where I'm supervising someone, and they, you know, they've got a, they're working with a family that you know comes mm-hmm. from a different background, and they want to focus on some sort of priority. You know skill that they that that the bcba thinks is really important sort of a basic you know kind of a basis so maybe like toileting yeah or sleeping or or an eating behavior like using a fork (laughs) um and and then wondering why the family is like well no we don't want to work on any of those things um but they don't also explain why they don't want to work do any of those things Mm. possibly because of you know the many of the reasons you suggested around the language i mean if you spoke our language, then you'd understand our story, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but you don't, and so we're not going to go there. And so, so, so then the the BCBA is coming back. I don't know why they don't want to work on this. I I really want to advocate for them to work on this. <laughs> you know, because independence um, is
0: always a priority all the
1: time. Exactly, <laughs> and, and so this just this is just a, I mean, this whole conversation we're having is just is just such a. I mean, Senegal's you know they've got a few people, but it's a small country compared to sort of yeah. everywhere else in the world. Fourteen million, and, and to ha- yeah, and to have and to have this sort of one one country, one example of such drastically different, you know, uh, you know, uh, values and, and and lifestyles and whatnot. Um, you know, just speaks to sort of we talk so much about the importance of cultural humility, but until you start actually talking about a particular culture and all those little pieces that are yeah. involved. Yeah. Um, you don't, you, you, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's got a whole it's, different meaning to me. It's now.
0: rare to hear specific examples sometimes, you know, I, I think, because there's so many cultures in the world, obviously, you can't just, like, list off everything. But, like, I do think it's helpful, you know, to give some illustrations of why these things are important and how you can actually apply them to actual literal situations when you're sitting down in front of a family who's different for me. Yeah.
1: 100%. Yeah. And I could totally see like I, like I see a value here we, we, there's been a lot of talk recently and and I've enjoyed it around um venturing outside of ABA research you know when we're trying to sort of do our work so you know there's been a, for example in in uh, in trauma circles uh there's a lot of Encouragement of venturing into social work journals and social work research and that sort of thing, yeah. because you're going to learn way more about trauma through a social work lens than you are through an ABA lens. Um, I hope that our conversation—I know it certainly will for me—but I hope our conversation, you know, sort of gets people thinking that maybe they need to start looking at this kind of research more and, and mm-hmm. the qualitative research and mm-hmm. and the and the re- because you referenced quite a few studies of of sort of. Uh, things happening in in, in different countries um, all throughout Africa around sort of pre- a lot published around prevalence and, 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 uh, and, and severity and and cultural things and that sort of stuff that, that, you know, I would never even think to sort of go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm hoping this kind of opens up that piece there was before we, we kind of wrap up and that I know I'm, I'm almost talking like a wrap up. I did have one more kind of question going back to the first theme that I thought was really interesting. And that was around diagnosis. Uh, now, we don't have to talk about diagnosis in the States. We, I, 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 it's pretty clear kind of how that whole process works and the difficulties there for folks. But diagnosis in, in, in Senegal is it's quite different.
2: different.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um different. Can you kind of touch on what that what that is and, um, and, and ex- explain what a, mar- a, a marabou is? I was going to say,
0: there's two questions you could be asking. There's the yeah. Western
2: path. Yeah.
0: And there's the traditional path. And when sure. you say diagnosis, which path are you going to go down? Um, every family has to face this decision in Senegal. There's, there's traditional Senegalese interpretations of what's going on, usually spiritual. And then there's also, um, you know, and this harks back to the resources that uh, colonialization placed here, um, the the psychiatric definitions and, you know, all Mm. of that and going into a more um, Western type diagnosis, which is what ABA is based on. So I don't know which one you want to start with.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, Um, from what I I was reading, it sounds like a lot of parents... Start with the traditional and then end up in the other side. So maybe let's start with the traditional. I'm
0: a little biased because my families are already here, which means they've already embraced the Western style. So I'm getting families who have either left behind the traditional methods or, or traditional interpretations or who are doing it in tandem with the Western stuff. Um, but every a lot of Senegalese traditional families, I, I don't know if it's all or most, I didn't get a number, but gosh, I would say most probably, especially especially as you go more towards like outside of Dakar, the where there's less Western resources, you go into more lower income neighborhoods, you know, you go into more traditional places, um, I'd say 100%. The first stop is usually the Maribu. This is a uh, uh, I, this is a purely Senegalese role of uh, a, a spiritual leader, and I know you know I <laughs> again I'm foreign, so and I'm sure there's Senegalese people listening to this podcast today, so I'm really hoping I'm doing justice to the importance of this role, mm. I'm, and I'm and I'm explaining this role uh, accurately is sort of something mm-hmm. very different from what we're used to, but it's a spiritual leader in the community a Marabu, um, and he always a he. A he Practices um, it, it, it Islam, so it's an Islamic leader. Mm, okay. um, Ninety percent of Senegal is Muslim, so ten percent uh, Christian, usually Catholic. Mm. Um, so madabous are very common because every you know almost everybody is Muslim. Um, this is a different individual from you know the individuals you would see at the mosque, the imam, and, and the others. Um, this is someone who is very purely Senegalese. They're practicing sort of separately um and they, they they mix together uh uh muslim uh I, I don't know if i would say practices but muslim perspectives islamic perspectives uh with local traditional senegalese healer skill sets so before islam came there were healers there were traditional healers and those mm-hmm. traditions sort of stuck around merged with islam and then now you have the matter. Madab- of Um, some are more, more towards the religious side of things than the traditional, it depends on their, um, but families can go to Maribu when they need help and it can be, they they can give all sorts of kinds of help. They can give advice, um, if there's family tension, if there's community disagreements, they can give spiritual advice, spiritual diagnostics, spiritual, uh, recommendations. Um, they, they, I don't know, they can, uh, like, inform you on who to vote for in politics. You know, can mm. like, you know, if you have, I mean, anything, you know, you can go to them if you have a, you have a health problem. If you have a health problem, you can go to them um, and they'll do their thing. I've never really seen in person how this works. So this is me coming from, like, 50 layers out. But they, 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 they're very uh, upstanding, highly ranked people in each community, um, and then they have, you know, they have they're, they're, there's levels, and so there's marabu who are very, very, very high up. And then there are marabus who are more at a community level. I think there are also local healers that may be separate from marabus, but I think most people go to the Maribu. Um So if you have a child who perhaps doesn't know how to talk yet and he's already six or something, or if you have a child who seems to be behaving in a way that, that you find odd... You can take the child to the marabu, and they will give you a spiritual diagnosis and a, a, a prescription—a series of things that you do um, that may help. That may help the child.
1: I read something about it being kind of a, like like that—that that, that autism was looked at as almost like, like a possession of some sort? That tends is that- to be
0: a popular diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and there's different types of possession. There's like, um, and, and so they will tell the family what they think is happening. There's, there's different types of spirits, um, With some with Muslim names, some not. It can be full possession, meaning it's, it is a spirit. The child is not a mm. child. The child is, right. yeah, that's a little rarer. Usually, um, you find that in other countries, I think more, but in, in Senegal, full 100% possession, like the child is not there anymore inside. Uh, that's that's that can that can that can be a diagnosis. But um, more more, what I've heard is um, the spirit is in the child's body with the child mm. and disturbing the child. And then there's another one I'll talk about later, my favorite one. <laughs> um, but the the when the spirit is with the child in their body. Um, you you know they're they're causing the child to act differently, and the prescription will be to convince and this is the word that was used convince the spirit to leave the child's body, and go back to the spirit world, um, or just that some spirits live with us you know here on earth in, in this in this perspective so just leave the child's body yeah so they'll do they'll do these so you know they get they get sections from the Quran. And they will recite and they will do these, you know, they'll do these sort of exorcism ceremonies um, where they will, you know, they will, they will try to convince the, the I think it's called the rab, uh, the spirit to leave the child's body. These beliefs, and especially the more traditional beliefs that are going more away from Islam, they, they tend to start varying once you are talking to different people from different ethno groups. One of the beliefs, um, this is one. This is one I believe that's more from the Serer, which is my husband's people, well, my husband's ethno group. It depends who you talk to, you know. <laughs> um, they, they, there was more of a family vibe. Um, they believe that this that everyone's soul comes from the spirit world. Everyone's spirit mm-hmm. comes from the spirit world. They believe in. Uh, this is traditional. Remember, this is not the religion that's been overlaid. This is not Islam. This is not. Um, these beliefs are coming out more once you leave the city and go into the villages yeah they believe in reincarnation and different family members can reincarnate into future generations so you could give birth and raise your own grandmother same person different mm-hmm. body and so so spirits go back into the spirit world and they come back and they go back and they come back and and, and sometimes they talk about it almost as if, if it's like voluntary you know um if, a, if, if this is the area remember this is so I don't I can't speak for other ones um but sure. if, you know I think the child' mortality rate here is fairly high or it definitely was in the past um so they view uh, if a baby passes away, um they'll talk about like oh he he didn't want to be here, maybe next time he'll be maybe next time he'll be convinced to stay huh um so if someone has a has a miscarriage or if a baby dies, maybe the next baby is the same baby. It's just in a different body, like trying right. again, okay? So here's sort of like a base belief. With, with children who have speech delay or, or autistic-like um, behaviors, and there's a whole name uh, that's that's a culturally bound syndrome that seems very similar to autism. They sort of, um, when a child begins talking, uh, that is a signal that they have now accepted this world and they're, leaving, they're fully leaving the spirit world.
2: Mm. So if
0: they haven't if they're not talking yet, it's like they still have a foot in the spirit world. So when you have speech delay, when you have speech delay, they'll be like, oh, he's not really fully with us yet. Um and we need to convince we need to convince him to come and be in our world now. Um so it's less possession it's less possession. Sometimes it can be possession of like a family member's spirit, another family member, and you have to like your ancestor and you have to convince that family member to let him go. And go back into the family into the spirit world. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. not saying that these beliefs are like held by all of Senegal or anything. This is like very, very specific um to, you know, probably one, I don't know, you know, it's very, very specific and and it, and it's people maybe who don't practice like the, the popular religions here, but this all sort of harkens back to this theme of of spiritual possession and convincing, convincing mm-hmm. the foreign spirit or the child to accept this world or to leave the child's body and that's very senegalese it's very nonviolent. <laughs> it's very like you know convincing is a peaceful way of doing this so that's what a lot of my families have told me is like oh they told us it was a spirit they did a bunch of exorcisms it didn't work they said to keep coming back and coming back and, and they and they said you know they this is getting expensive we have to pay each mm. time so we're going to try okay. doing now so we need we're coming to you now
1: Oh, I see.
0: Um, um so so, well, who well, sorry.
1: sorry, what was the favorite spirit?
0: Oh, that was the family one, the family members coming back.
1: Ah, okay.
0: Um, I I I just I don't know why it touches me so much, but but it, it almost seems comforting like, oh, it's just the same person coming back over and over again. Yeah. Oh, it's just a family member who doesn't really want to let go of him yet, but we gotta convince him to let go. It's it's less invasive. And, and, and uncomfortable than having like a foreign rab spirit into your body. It's more like, oh, they're not ready. They're not ready. And they, and they just need to be convinced that, that they're here now and that they're supported and that they'll go back later because it's reincarnation. You come back. Yeah. I just really like that idea.
1: <laughs> I, I, I do too. I mean, it, 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 I I really like it. It really sends, not it so. sends that message that, uh, it's okay. that the, that the, the collect that, well, it's okay, but that, that dis sort of. You know, we're all in this together approach that they have as they're alive continues, you know, beyond the body yeah. and, and, and we're, we're exactly. all still hanging out. Yeah, that's wicked.
0: Yeah, yeah. But more what I hear from my fam, my families, my clients, it's more like the foreign, the foreign uh, spirit that has to be exorcised. That's the one that I hear a lot. That's the one that I hear a lot. Yeah. So they come to me, and then you know, for Western diagnoses, uh, there's not a whole lot of resources. There are some people that do Western diagnoses, but there's no special trainings on autism. They just now started using the, the diagnostic manuals. There's no like ADOs kits, you know. There, you know, like there's some lack of resources. So for my families that have mm. the means, they're gonna go to Europe and get a diagnosis, or go somewhere else and then come back, and then come back. Not everyone has the means, so I don't. I, I'm not um, declaring a diagnosis of autism as necessary to receive my services. I simply do an observation mm. and uh, assess as best I can whether or not I can help this child as who he is, as a, you know, uh, what would I can see based on his skill sets because it can't really be based on a diagnosis. That's, I, you know, <laughs> most of my families don't have a diagnosis. They don't, their kids don't have a diagnosis. So yeah, yeah. I just say, you know what, looks yeah. like he's no. kind of spectrum you know, no. I think I can help. And then I'll say how I think I can help. yeah, right on. yeah. the can I talk about the culture bound syndrome just for a second before we go? Yeah, no I I, I, I,
1: I really want to hear about that, yeah, please. Um,
0: so this is also this is also, you know, like if you talk to if you talk to anyone here in Senegal, you know, if you talk to my husband or anybody who probably is listening to this podcast, um, this is not really something that's like in the the car day to day life. But there, there was a, a paper I cited in my in my articles and plenty, and this was back in 1968, so it was a while ago. Another study that I would love to do someday. Um,
2: mm-hmm. He
0: wrote about uh, so a culture bound syndrome. This is my like cross cultural psychology stuff coming out. A culture bound syndrome is a collection a collection of symptoms um, that are distressing, usually to the individual or to their, their, the other people around them. Um, that, that tend to only be found in one culture. And once you leave that culture, that cluster of symptoms it doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's culture bound syndromes all over the world, and those cultures have a name for those syndromes, but once you leave that that region and that culture, you don't see those sets of behaviors anymore in those clusters. Mm. Um, so it seems like there's some sort of internal pathology going on, there's some sort of internal thing going on, but it manifests according to the culture. Like it, may, it fits the culture, you know, and then they name it. But if that person maybe grew up elsewhere, perhaps it would manifest as a different set of behaviors. Uh, that is one of the theories. That is one of the theories. One of the theories is that it's universal and it's just manifesting culturally. Another theory is that these are truly culture-bound syndromes um, and the co- and the cause and the core of it is also bound within that culture. So that's the other theory. So, Rizempleni wrote about, he looked at the Wolof people and the um, Serer people in here in Senegal. And he noticed two cultures. Um, Wolof, I don't know how to <laughs> pronounce this. Nitkubon, I believe. I'm sure I butchered it. Mm-hmm. And the Cerebral culturally down Syndrome, uh, Chi Pa Again, I'm, I'm probably butchered it. I was reading those lists, and he didn't say the word autism in that article, I don't think. But I was reading those lists, and like, wow, that I was a little bit taken aback. The the lists of the of the of the symptoms of the behaviors that are observed by these cultures are very very similar to the diagnostic criteria lists. Or very very similar to the lists of 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 of, of autistic like behaviors that we see in the Western world, and it took me aback because I don't I don't I don't know if he said the word autism anywhere in that article. This was 1968, you know. Right. Autism, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So I was sort of lucky to stumble across this, and it was interesting. I listed off, you know, and and I listed off some of the symptoms here. So this is evidence, you know, that autism is everywhere.
1: If, you know, or
0: that these profiles, you know, are everywhere. Here's some of the symptoms, you know, um um avoiding avoiding looking at eyes. These are these are just, you know, people in the villages describing certain kids in their villages. Avoidance looking at eyes and faces, um not really showing emotion, flat affect or perhaps showing emotion at odd times good uh, preference for being alone or playing alone with objects instead of playing with people, mm-hmm. um, odd speaking patterns or perhaps low speech you know speech delay, hypersensitivity in certain situations and then and then and then one said fragile health um for both of these syndromes, you know the, which could be a reflection of the very harsh environments out in the villages especially um and this you know that kind of seems a little familiar in this
2: list doesn't it yeah you know it's like
0: okay (laughs) you know you can see a child sort of playing alone and maybe showing his emotions differently and maybe not wanting to look at people's eyes and maybe not speaking how everyone does and maybe being very hypersensitive in certain situations you know it's like you can sort of see this um last thing on the list was high physical beauty for both of them and so they uh they, they they say that not you know, out in the villages, at least in the study, they not all these kids, because of their fragile health, not all of the children would live to adulthood. In fact, most of them would not would not live to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that did, however, were very much admired for their humility. Um they don't get into other people's business, they don't gossip, they focus very they focus very much
2: on their work, mm. on
0: making sure that their crops are done. Uh, very well they're very thorough in their work with their crops um and they they keep to themselves and they and they and they have good uh meticulous spaces and because of that and and because of their physical beauty that is listed they make ideal spouses these these people yeah i wanted to put that in the article because it just seems so relevant
1: <laughs> it really does and um, and it, and it and, yeah it, and it's then, it's making me think about go ahead yeah
0: I don't know. I just, I, I, I love research and someday I want to go out and do interviews out, out beyond, you know, where, where the major religions are having so much influence and the Descartes environment and French and all that is having so much influence out where all this still may be, um, talked about and continue these studies, you know, continue these studies. Because I don't want to get, I don't want these ideas, I don't want these ideas to get lost.
1: No, I think that would be really, really amazing. It's making me think about, um, I love this idea of a culturally bound syndrome because it's really making me think about autism and um and kind of ableism a little bit. And the reason I say that is because because it just makes it sound like sort of so let's let's say that was autism in the in that setting mm-hmm. and they just yeah. they just didn't recognize it. Let's yeah. just let's just call that autism for the sake of argument. If that was autism that was autism in an environmental context that worked. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. and so we talk a lot about you know the problem about changing the you know the the individuals' behaviors so they're more appropriate so they'll be more accepted mm-hmm. you know so they'll so you know so they they'll won't sit get at bullied. The table and, and
0: stack blocks.
1: And <laughs> exactly. And and and, 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 and they'll do skills. things sort of. <laughs> They'll they'll fit into our culture essentially yeah. is what we're trying to make is what we're trying to do with our with, with 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 our approach. But but a lot of the talk lately, sort of again touching on the reform bit again, is that you know it needs to be less about the person changing and more about the people around them accepting them for who they are and mm-hmm. uh, and, and and understanding them more. And it really sounds like in in this kind of example. This is sort of like, this is that at 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 its ultimate, you know, at this its, is, this degree,
0: is, and you don't always see that yeah. in Senegal, even like I have a lot of high income families who are living in small apartments and it's mom, dad and kid, you know, and these are Senegalese families, but they're living like we are. And you can see the differences. You can see the stress. And even in the kid, you know, there's no space to run around. You know, there's no courtyard. They're not being raised like by a bunch of people who totally just accept yeah. them the way they are. You know, it's, it's. You can see the differences even, uh, even across all different families here. You know, Senegal is a very diverse country. There's a lot of variety. So you can see, you know, you got those village families all way out. And then you've got these, like, Dakarwaz families. And you can, you can see the difference in the child. I had a couple of families choose to leave Dakar and all of its resources and its schools and, and everything and go out into the village to live out there because they believed that it was best for the child. We, we don't need specialized schools you don't need therapies you just need to be surrounded by a million people who love you and who'll take care of you and who take care of each other and you can run around and play in the dirt all day <laughs> and you know yep. and and be free and that's what they chose for their child they chose that freedom over uh structured education and conformity
1: that's so awesome okay i
0: respect that yeah really cool yeah.
1: really yeah. cool really neat paper uh Daddy. <laughs> really you. really cool stuff that <laughs> kind of came only out it took three I mean, years three years to
0: get that thing out
1: <laughs> yeah well it's it, it it's not a short one, so uh you know I no. get that. and there's just a there's a lot a lot of components here and and just a really neat way of kinda to to kind of kind of look at this stuff and really get folks thinking about you know how 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 important cultural humility is and how and how much more work we have to do to kind of uh you know if 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 we want to really provide good good quality kind of client centered services is there's there's a lot there's a lot, there's a lot know, more exploring to, to do.
0: Exactly you have to know exactly how big the world is. You can't really see yourself until you start looking at other people or or until you start looking totally. at yourself from other people's perspectives. And we're sort of encased in our little bubble in the US or cultural bubble or ABA bubble once you start looking at it from the outside you know they think we're crazy
1: <laughs> Yeah absolutely <laughs> like
0: absolutely. You, can, you, can, you can see exactly you know you can start defining things very well and the first step is defining you know what to change a lot of the, mm-hmm. of the reform of the reform communities they say okay autism awareness is great we've got autism awareness that's fantastic what we need now is autism acceptance and that's where we're at in the Western world. Yeah. We need autism acceptance. And and I think a lot of people, they uh, believe that they're there, but perhaps they're not all the way there yet. And yeah.
2: there's a
0: lot of self-examination that, that may need to happen um, in order to get 100% of the way there. Whereas in
1: 1968, it was already accepted. You know, <laughs> exactly. at least, at least, at least, at least in these, that study. You can
0: see how these French people write about, about how these, you know, these older, older, you know, colonialists wrote about about, yeah. about people here in Africa. You can imagine. This was not a flattering paper. And I left a lot of yeah. that out because I, I didn't want to cover yeah. that with their bias. Um, but yeah. they did have some important lessons, I think, that we can take from it.
1: Really cool. Thanks a lot for, for doing this with me. This is was... yeah. This was Thank really you for neat.
0: Inviting me to speak, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed our conversation here, and I hope that the listeners get a lot out of it.
1: Totally, totally, and just excited to see, uh, you know, you know what 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 what's coming next in 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 Senegal and and, uh, and across <laughs> Africa, and uh, yeah, looking I'm forward, to, uh, looking it, forward at to at that, great that too. High
0: speed over here. We got construction happening outside of my room here. We're developing so fast. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah,
1: right yeah. on, good. Okay. Cool. cool. Well, let's maybe we'll leave it there. And uh, yeah, thanks again.
0: Okay. Take care. Thank you.